tip today in association with Slattery's of Pecan, your main Peugeot dealer for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie morning. Welcome along to Tip Today on this very, very cold morning indeed. 1800-938-007. That's our free phone number. You'll be chatting to Emma. You can uh, text and WhatsApp 083 You can email tiptoday at tipfm.com. We're always delighted to hear from you. Mind yourselves if you're on the roads. Uh, as I was arriving in this morning, it was down about minus five which is very, very cold indeed. And particularly, mind yourselves, on the footpaths, uh, because we were getting reports from various towns, including Nina, uh, yesterday, that footpaths are very, very dangerous indeed. So look out for yourself, won't you? Uh, A quick look at uh, the headlines. Now, the papers were put to bed um, too soon to have that uh, story about the Irish peacekeeping soldier serving in the Lebanon who died after coming under fire while on duty. Very, very tragic story indeed and very tragic for the man's family uh, around this Christmas time as I'm sure you'll agree. Um, so a look at the other headlines. The Irish Times uh, economic reports uh, predict sharp slowdown. The Irish economy will experience a sharp slowdown in growth next year as high inflation erodes the value of earnings and recessions in other countries dampen the state's export trade. Two high-profile reports on the economic outlook have warned. Also on the Times today, Jonathan uh, Dowdle, the key witness in the Regency Hotel murder trial, has said he is not a rat and has come to court to tell the truth. And he went on to say, I don't care if I get killed, nobody will touch my children. Mr Dowdle, who uh, the non-jury special criminal court has heard, uh, continues to be assessed for inclusion on the witness security programme, said yesterday under cross-examination by uh, counsel for murder-accused Jared Hutch to the Irish Examiner. And they're um, leading with uh, that story of a life sentence for a most horrific attack. A Cork woman who was murdered by her obsessed uh, former partner was still alive when he doused the car with uh, uh, petrol and set it alight. Uh, Michael Leonard from Kilmallock in County Limerick. He was sentenced to life imprisonment uh, yesterday after pleading guilty to the murder of Mary O'Keefe, who was 72, at a woodland in Donnerail in County Cork on February the 4th um, uh, last year. And uh, those of us involved in uh, social dancing would have known Mary as being a lovely uh, woman who enjoyed her dancing and uh, enjoyed her music as well. Um, Also, the examiner today, patients are not safe from harm in three out of seven emergency departments. A damning new HICWA inspection report has revealed. And also you might be interested to, to hear on the examiner today, Ukrainians will be urged to avoid coming to Ireland for a three-week period due to accommodation capacity restraints. The Irish Independent telling us uh, the story of the Irish businessman Paddy McKillen, who has claimed that members of the Qatar uh, royal family cheated him out of uh, his businesses and uh, cheated him out of tens of millions of dollars owed for work on the Beverly Hills 
Hotel. Also, the government has been urged to scrap its commitment to keeping the state pension age at 66 and continually increase the threshold for retirement in line with life expectancy to keep debt under control. And uh, finally, the Irish Daily Mail cancer patients cutting back on heating. This is an amazing story. Cancer patients are being forced to, to cut back on heating their homes despite plummeting temperatures due to soaring energy costs and that says an awful lot I'm sure you'll agree. We have that prize for you, it's afternoon tea for two at the Talbot Hotel in Clonmel and that's by way of celebration of the fact that they have their Christmas gift vouchers available now and uh, nice idea for a prezi to somebody you love for Christmas. Text WhatsApp 083 if you want to get involved in our draw for that afternoon tea, put Talbot at the end of your contribution to us. Now Tipper County Council has failed miserably in tackling anti-social behaviour in local authority housing estates. That's the view of Carrie and Shore Councillor Kieran Burke, who joins me now. Kieran, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. And thanks for your time this morning. In what way, Kieran, has the authority failed? Oh, um, I think first of all, our policy that's in our tenancy handbook uh, needs to be reviewed. Uh, I think we failed uh, with that. Uh, from the start. Just to put it out there, Fran, we had community liaison officers in front of us at our last uh, district council meeting. And uh, I want to put it there that they do a fantastic job in the community. It's a tough job that they have to do with the tenants, liaison officers. But when it comes to anti-social behaviour, my experience as a councillor in Carrick and Shure since 2008, they have failed miserably in dealing with anti-social behaviour. Tenants and people that cause disruption to their neighbours. What are are you hearing from your uh, constituents uh, particularly, Kieran? Well, okay, you have have neighbours that uh, play loud music, they party all night, drug dealing in some places. Um, that's the sort of thing, uh, not disposing of household refuse, um, causing problems for their neighbours in close proximity that draw vermin. And, you know, if, if you vermin in your house and you're a council tenant, it's your issue, it's your problem. You have to deal with it. You know, th- that's the sort of stuff that I'm talking about. And when when the complainant who uh, 100% of the time is the good tenant, makes a complaint, it takes forever to have it dealt with. Um, and, you know, they they are interviewed, um, they feel intimidated, they feel they're not being believed. Um, and then when it comes to actually dealing with the, with the, the tenant who is behaving in an antisocial beha- uh, behaviour way, um, we fail miserably because we it's, we give them a little slap in the wrist and we give them forever to deal with it. You know, there's cases that I'm aware of where we had tenants who uh, caused huge disruption to their neighbours where they lived and they were relocated and put into other areas. So that's just pushing the problem around, you think? Absolutely, it? absolutely. Um, Some of what you named out to me there, uh, Kieran, would be um, matters for the Gardee, would they not? <laughs> Well, here, here's the grey area, Fran. Um, the, the, the tenant liaison officer will say to the, the complainant, uh, you need to report that to the guardee. They go to the guardee and the guardee say, ah, hang on, that's a council issue. You need to deal with, with the council in that matter. So, so the misfortunate tenant who is dealing with this antisocial behaviour doesn't know where to go. They're passed from pillar to post. That's why 
there needs to be a review in how we deal with anti-social behaviour within Tipperary County Council. And I, as chair of the Housing Committee, intend to have it on the agenda for our next SPC meeting. What sanctions are there from the authority? I mean, if somebody is acting in that manner, Kieran, what what can be put in place to deter them from doing so? OK, just, just to give you a flavour of, of them, you know, what, what they say. Um, the, the offender will be interviewed and issued with a verbal warning. Uh, they will be asked possibly to engage with agencies or other supports uh, through second uh, chance programmes, written warnings, final warning letter, tenancy warning. These are all the things in the tenancy handbook. Well, that could go on for years, I presume, could it? Exactly, exactly. And all the time, the, the complainant, who is the good tenant here, loses faith with the system and just gets so fed up you know uh, it's it's the whole setup is needs to be overhauled fran um yeah. and fran just to say mm. this isn't antisocial behavior is not just going on uh, within council tenants mm. it's going on in every town in tipperary mm. and you know um we in carrick and sure we had bangers going off leading up to halloween six seven weeks leading up to halloween Bangers going off right next door to the Garda station and nothing being done about it. No, despite no that is <laughs> illegal, Kieran. That is Ab- yeah. absolutely, absolutely. But you know why the Garda can't deal with it? Because they, we don't have the numbers. Mm. We don't have the Garda in place. Despite now, whoever will come on your program, whether the senior officers and they say, "Oh, this, that, and the other thing," the fact of the matter for donkeys' years since the Garda station closed on it at, at, at two, and was set up as a temporary basis in Carrigan-Shore, we don't have the number of guards policing Carrick and Shore. And since then, have you noticed a a, a decline and an exaggeration of the behaviour that's going on in these places then, since that happened with the Gardaí? Absolutely. We we have... I I know several people who are afraid to leave their homes at night time, take their dog for a walk in the park, take their dog for a walk in the green. Um, they're, They're nervous, they're afraid, they feel intimidated. And who are they being intimidated by? Like, is it gangs of young people? Is it uh, yes, in certain cases, yes. Right. We, 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 we. You had it on your own program, Fran, a, a few weeks ago. Um, an incident happened from bangers where a, a child got hit with a banger, and only then the Gardaí stepped up to the mark. And and I don't care who comes on your program from the Gardaí, that I I will stand over that statement. They. I know several constituents of mine, even family members of mine, who rang the Gardaí and um, they just, the bangers kept going off and going off and going off. And that's just one instant. People driving up the streets, crossing the bridges, and bangers being pointed at their cars and being hit and nothing being done about it. And, and that's why, I mean, I don't want to disagree with what you're doing with the authority because there is an element of responsibility there, but a lot of responsibility has to be with the Gardaí and they will tell you, even, even the top brass will tell you, that resources are not available to them. That's what I'm saying, Fran. Yeah. The resources aren't there, despite what they'll come out and tell you. When, 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 I, we used to have uh, a Garda uh, numbers up to 15 in Carrigan-Shore and... Um, I, what I would, have you know? I would say if you take into into account sick leave and, and whatever, I'd say we'd be lucky to have six or seven at any one time, pleasing. Right. And and people are in fear. 
I know I've I've constituents coming into me uh, into my office and they're in fear. In fact, from from the news bulletins yesterday where I raised the issue and, and you highlighted it, I had five individuals came into my office and said, "Well done. It's about time somebody spoke up about it." Yeah, I'm looking at the screen in front of me here, and that's that's what's coming up for me here as well. That uh, they're glad somebody's speaking out about this. Yeah. You see, the danger is, and I think why some people don't, and I'm sure you're conscious of this, Kieran, as well, is that you don't want to paint a town in a certain way. But, oh, you, I mean, you're making the point that this happens in every town. Oh, this is going on in, in every town, you know. I, I, um, but all I'm saying is, and it's, uh, we, we, need to, we need to highlight it. We need to deal with it and stop brushing it under the carpet and blaming uh, the local authorities, blaming the Gardaí and the Gardaí blaming the local authorities and so on and so on. We all need to step up to the plate here. And I, as chair of the Housing Committee, am going to step up to the plate when it comes to uh, local authority tenants causing antisocial behaviour. I'm going to get it on the agenda. I believe we need to revise our tenancy handbook in that particular aspect of it and deal with it and deal with it properly. All right, but you can revise all the handbooks you want, Kieran, as you well know. But if it's not policed in some way, you're wasting your time. Yeah, it, it, yeah, exactly. But but possibly when when it comes to the next housing SBC meeting, maybe we invite the Gardaí into it as well and sit down with us and, and we discuss it properly. Right. Even though I have my doubts about those discussions happening in a public arena, do you know, like, will you not be told all the nice things? And really, at the end of today, will anything be done? Well, I suppose, Fran, you have to start somewhere, don't yeah, you? I suppose. I suppose, indeed. Well, again, I'm looking at the screen that's coming in here. One person, in fact, making the point about that it was not a council estate. This was a private estate. Somebody made complaints and rang all sorts of people. I won't name who. Um, absolute waste of time, says this person, um, and uh, absolute waste of time and energy, and there seemed to be no intention of doing anything. So, uh, yeah. there you yeah. go. But that's, that's, that's the morale out there with people. And these are good people, good citizens. What, that they've and given up on, on anything I, I, being done? Is that it? Exactly, exactly. All right. All right. Kieran, thanks for coming on with me this morning. Thank you. Good morning to you. Thanks, Fran. Good morning. How about you now? That is Councillor Kieran Burke there speaking to us from Carrick and Shore this morning. How do you feel about that? 1800-938-007. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 2411 or slatterysgarage.ie Now Ireland's first strategy for genetic and genomic uh, medicine was launched on Tuesday with plans for a patient-centred national service to help people with rare diseases. Now the plan includes a new national office, workforce planning and changes to laboratories. Uh, The HSE also expects this specialised care to become more accessible to families. Now these plans are welcomed by one Tipperary mum who is paying privately for genetic testing. Uh, Carl Malloy's son, Danny, is eight and while he's being treated for a number of health conditions at his local hospital and in Dublin, he does not yet have an overall diagnosis and Carol joins me now. Carol, good morning to you. Hi, how are you? I'm very well indeed. Thank you so much for taking our call this morning, no Carol. Problem. Will you tell me about Danny and uh, what you know of his condition? Yeah, okay. So Danny's eight and um, he was born with um, he's done with lots of health conditions. He's very complex. So he has a heart condition called truncus arteriosus with interrupted aortic arch, which he's had open heart surgery for, a few open heart surgeries for. 
he has uh, most recently a suspected auto-inflammatory disease. Um, He has microcephaly where his brain hasn't grown since he was um, a baby. So he has an intellectual disability. Danny's non-verbal. He has been quite sick for the last number of years. the last year, his health has been better, all right. But um, he would have, we would have spent maybe the guts of six years in Crumlin with him. Um, he was getting recurrent infections, and um, he, he, yeah, Danny has a lot going on. This genetic testing, you you ended up yeah. paying privately for that because I think you yeah. were, you would have been put on a waiting test for about a year and a half, a waiting list yeah. for about so, a year and a half. Is that so it? yeah, what happened was so Danny's overall condition is undiagnosed, and he, we would have had a lot of genetic testing done through Crumlin, and then Danny was unfortunately misdiagnosed with a syndrome, so that put the testing on hold for a little bit, and so more recently we were refer, referred back to genetics again. And 30 months is the waiting list, you know. So you paid privately for genetic testing? I did, and a lot of parents are doing this. Um, There's a geneticist that comes over from London every couple of months, and and we got our names down to see him, and um, hopefully we might be a little bit closer to a diagnosis for Danny, but um, I don't know, it's, it's... the cost of it is is it's a lot of money. Right. Um, Can you give me roughly through. what what that cost would be, Carol? Yeah. Okay. So for for the whole thing, for the consultation, the genetic. Now it obviously depends on your situation, and mm. it depends on what tests that needs to be done. But for us, we were looking at to test everything we wanted to test or that they wanted to test. It was coming in at over four grand. Wow, so it's a lot of money, yeah, isn't it? It's is a lot of money. So we haven't we haven't gone ahead with everything, and we just couldn't afford it. So we just we were getting one test done at the moment, you know. Right, and um, this genetic testing that would give you an answer to the overall condition. Is that is that my understanding? Yeah. Anyway? So we know Danny has a syndrome. Okay. We know he has a syndrome, but we just don't know what syndrome it is. So at the moment, like every year. Danny's getting diagnosed with another health condition and this and that. We don't know what's to come in the future for Danny because we don't know, we don't have a diagnosis. And I suppose when they're not, when it's not the kind of more more um, common syndromes, yes. they are more difficult to diagnose and it gets very complex. And, you know, the whole genetic thing is a very complex um, situation. Um, but for us, I suppose, like, I mean, we don't know, like, none of Danny's consultants can tell us what's to come in the future. We, do, I know nothing will, but, I mean, it, it would be lovely for us to maybe get in touch with other families that have kids with the same diagnosis. Like, we're, we, we, a lot of the time, feel very isolated yes. and we don't really fit in anywhere because we don't know what Danny has, you know? Um, like yeah. a diagnosis would mean everything like there's a lot of things like he has an auto-inflammatory disease that has only been he's only been treated for in the last year where he's been sick with it for six years and we didn't know what it was I mean it's things like that that might be we, you know are, may 
be missed um, because of not having a diagnosis. It could have been something that we could have looked into before and it might have saved us lots of trips to the hospital if we had known this Absolutely. earlier. And, and, and the misdiagnosis, yeah. Carol, it, that set you back quite a bit. Oh, it set us back, I think, about three, over three years. Did yeah. it indeed? Oh, my God. So he was diagnosed based on, um, I suppose, his features and um, clinical symptoms when he was about two, two and a half. He was diagnosed with a thing called 22Q11 syndrome. Now, although we had got tests for that, um, the tests had all came back negative, but he he was diagnosed clinically. And then I suppose as he got older, we kind of thought, look... You know, his consultant thought, actually, I don't think that's what it is. Right, you know, but you had gone on for years believing that that was. I had, and I had got in touch with other parents, and I know every single thing in the world there is to know about that syndrome. Yes. Um, but obviously, it's 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 tough. I kind of always felt that we didn't fit in there either, though. I was always kind of listening to other parents talking about their kids and and different things, and I kind of thought, God, I really don't know do we even fit into this box either. But um. Yeah, so we're kind of we're back to square one, really, with this. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, it, it, well, for for me certainly, Carol, it's very hard to understand this genetic and genomic um, medicine. There's a lot to it. It's very complex, isn't it? It's very, very complex. Like, I mean, the new the new plan that they have. Um, there's a lot about new labs and yes. And so, and I mean, it's very welcome, and uh, like it's great to see that there's something even starting to change. But I mean, like I hope, as far as I'm aware, there's only a handful of geneticists in the country. I mean, new labs and all that—that's great. But I yeah. mean, what good are they if we don't have the geneticists? Where, to where work is the expertise? Yeah. Plus, what was launched on Tuesday, and and again, my understanding—it's just a strategy. Yes. So it's yeah. only laying out a strategy. It's not saying what will be in place and how soon something will be in place. Yeah, yeah. I, I have, I have, I need to read. I have read the full briefing um, yet because it only came out the other day. Yes. Um, but I mean, again, like I suppose any change, like, is welcome. But I, like, I hope they do. You know, maybe involve the parents and and yes. and other people a little bit more to. Kind of work out the, with, the with, logic with side somebody of it. like Danny. I would imagine the time is of the essence, and to be told that you'll be yeah. two and a half years waiting for it to mean, be seen. I mean, that's that's just unspeakable, it's, isn't it? Yeah, it's mm. just I, I just I'm so annoyed. I said I, we're eight years back and forth with this now. I I mean, I'm not the only parent that's going. There's a lot of parents in my situation, or there's other parents that I know that maybe have got a diagnosis and then haven't got a follow-up with it, and, and they, you know, like they're kind of left to figure it out by themselves. There's situations, and a lot of them are going Oh, I see. Now. So it's not just a case of getting a diagnosis and then there's a healthcare plan or something. It, no, like there oh. could be people that actually have gotten a diagnosis. Now, a lot of people like like that I would know would be people with rare kids, so um, yes. You know, yet people are dependent on Google for things. Oh like, my God! You know, are you serious? That's how, that's they're they're doing their own investigation they're, and yeah, yeah, yeah. My God, what about other services and the like, Carol? Because even without a full diagnosis, I mean, Danny needs needs all the help. I would imagine that. Yeah, that now Danny's in he's in um, Scullyingus and Cashel, and yes. they're absolutely wonderful. Mm. Um, and. Like, I, I don't know. I, I feel like things are, are worse than like what they were a few years ago. Um, 
I mean, you're we. Yeah, I do. I mean, I think things felt easier a few years ago. Um, like I don't know. Like we're very lucky. Um, with Danny School, are just they're unbelievable to us, and and he's speech therapist there and stuff. But I mean, if I have to look for OT, I, I, I know recently I needed an OT for for Danny's a flight risk, and we we're looking into harnesses for him because he's getting a bit older and stuff yes. like that, and. Uh, I mean, I was told just, I got an email and just look up this and see what you think yourself of this one. Like, there's no proper, like... So there's no expertise to advise you? A lot of the time we're figuring it out yourself. (laughs) We really are, you know. You're you're figuring it out by yourself. Um, And I presume, Carmel, that Danny is the centre of your world in terms of all of your time and effort and all of that, is it? Oh, yeah, like I'm Danny's full-time care. Um, It's 24-7, I guess. It's 24-7. I mean, he's he's on medication. Um, He's on... um, Well, at the moment, things are going well for him, health-wise, thank God. But uh, for the most part, we're in and out of Crumlin. And, you know, we could be there months at a time. And... Um, he's had um, endocarditis a couple of times. What, what is that? So it's uh, an infection in the lining of his heart. It's a bit similar to sepsis, but if you have a heart oh, condition, God. you're kind of his heart um, because he has um, artificial parts and it is a magnet first. And he's got that a couple of times. Um, so he's been, you know, he's been in ICU. He's had pick lines in. Um, We've had times at home where he would have had pick line inserted and he would have been on meds. 23 hours a day and yeah like God, it's, that it's must be so on. frightening it's for you is it is that oh yeah it's frightening um i mean there's 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 there was a lot of times especially when he was younger like we didn't even think we, he was going to make it home out oh, of hospital Lord. so we do feel very grateful like with danny i mean he's the center of our world he's he's um he keeps me on my toes that's for sure yeah. <laughs> um he's oh. a real little character and, and what's uh, his behavior like carol there's a lovely picture uh, in front of me here of you both now yeah. what, how, so how does he, he behave danny is so he's non-verbal mm-hmm. right but we use love with him um to communicate what, what is that and is that like sign it's like sign language it's like a simplified version of um isl yes so, yeah, so he's very good at that. You know, he can nearly talk in sentences Isn't with us through that. Yeah. Um, they're great with that in school. I would have done courses and stuff throughout the years um, to do that. And so more he recently, can communicate with you? Oh, he's really good at communicating. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And more recently, we've started using um, a communication device with him. So that's just basically like a little iPad. Yes. And he can say his name from it. It has a little screen on it and it has all the words and it speaks for you. Um, which he's he is doing so well on that. Like he's he's he really is flying it with that. Um, yeah, so he's great. He's he's a real little devil as well, and he's a <laughs> he uh, he's a real character, and he's he's very unique in that he's probably not into the same kind of things you'd see other eight year olds into. His taste in music is. He's a big Elvis fan. And <laughs> he, he loves dancing and copying Elvis. And oh, loves brilliant. And his favourite thing at the moment is to dress up like Charlie Chaplin. He has a little hat and a stick <laughs> and he little suit. And I have oh, videos up on my Facebook page of him dancing. And he likes watching little clips on YouTube of Charlie Chaplin. And, and he, he, he gets really into it. And he could be on the floor laughing like <laughs> at this. Like it's, it's brilliant. Isn't that gorgeous? Yeah. And is he looking forward to Christmas? 
Yeah, he is. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. He, he loves Christmas and all that dark stuff. So, yeah, yeah. Well, Carol, we were delighted to speak to you this morning and we wish yeah, you well no and we problem. wish Danny well. Yeah, but will you will you keep us up to speed on what's happening with it? Because as I say, this is only a strategy, so this it's could only be a, yeah, years yeah, down yeah. the Actually, road. You know? Can I just say um, one more little thing? Yes, um, Danny is an honorary guard for Little Blue Heroes. Oh, is he? Brilliant. Yeah, I, and I just want to say Little Blue Heroes is just a fantastic charity and they have helped us so, so much over the last couple of years. So I just want to say thanks to them. Excellent, excellent. Yeah. Carmel, we wish you well and to Danny okay. as well. Thank you for yeah. coming on with me. Thanks very much. Thank okay. you. Good morning to bye you, Carol. Bye-bye. Bye bye. That's a Carol Malloy there speaking to me about her son, Danny, and uh, talking about that strategy for genetic and genomic uh, medicine launched on Tuesday with plans for, as they describe it, a patient-centred national service to uh, help people with uh, rare diseases. But it's sort of patient-centred in its own way at the moment because they have to do their own their own analysis and their own investigation on online. It's, it's incredible, isn't it? Uh, 083 311 Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Welcome back to uh, Tip Today, 1800 Now, Moscow has said no Christmas ceasefire was on the cards after nearly 10 months of war in Ukraine, rejecting a call by Kiev to start withdrawing troops by Christmas as a step to end Europe's biggest conflict since World War II. Now, you might remember we spoke to Clan Melman Andrew Last from the city of Kiev in Ukraine recently, and the good news is that he's home safe and he joins me in studio. Good morning to you, Andrew. Good morning, Fran, thanks for having me. You're very welcome indeed and great great to see you back home. Uh, you got home on Monday, I think, was That's that it? That's right, yeah. I got the ferry from Sherberg back to Dunleary there uh, on Monday. Um, I Thankfully, well, actually it was Sunday afternoon where I left, but I arrived in Ireland then on Monday and thankfully so because I would have been stuck in France for another three days um, due to lack of ferries at this time of the year. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? And uh, as well, just as you got out, I mean, shortly afterwards there was those uh, drone attacks uh, attacks on the city as well. That's right. So as I entered actually Ukraine um, going back uh, about three and a half weeks ago, um, that's when obviously people would have known the news about the the stray missile that went into Poland and also at the same time as I was passing, uh, driving past Lviv, the energy plant had been hit there. So I was doing a live stream there and people could actually see I was about three kilometres maybe from where that initial attack was. Now, I didn't see the strike itself, but I saw the aftermath of it and uh, and the huge you know, plume of smoke that was uh, engulfing the city of Lviv. People still might mean, God knows my own geography needs a kick in the ass at times, but would you just tell us the geography of it in terms of where the front line is now in in Ukraine, Andrew? Absolutely. So the front line of Ukraine is in the eastern part of Ukraine, which is the Donbass region. Uh, it's also in the southern parts of Ukraine. And people don't really understand how big geographically Ukraine is. For example, once I'm on the border entering, which the nearest city to me would be Lviv. Lviv is about 45 minutes from the border, uh, the Polish border. Yes. If I was to go as the crow flies from um, the border of Ukraine down by Medica and drive to Kiev, it takes me 10 hours driving at approximately 110 kilometres an hour. So that's 10 hours to the central or north central part of Ukraine. Wow. To go to Kharkiv from Kiev 
takes an additional four and a half hours driving, driving again at approximately the same speeds. And Kharkiv was actually uh, invaded by the, the, the Russian army. Uh, now it's not. It's a, it's a liberated city mm. now. But it is a staging point now for you know, the uh, the defensive going into the Donbass region. Donbass is a greater region that consists of two main oblasts or regions, which is Donetsk and Luhansk. Mm. And uh, th- that's where my, my wife would have been originally from, was Lugansk City, which is, again, that's on the far eastern side of the Donbass region. So if you were to go try to travel as the crow flies from the border to border, it would probably take you approximately... 36 hours driving. Wow, so it's a huge, huge space, isn't it? Massive country. So there is a a very common misunderstanding as to geographically where the front lines are. Her son was liberated there about three and a half weeks ago, four weeks ago. Um, Southern uh, Kherson is still being contested. Mm. So that's um, that's where the Russian soldiers are. Tell me about your work over there and what you were doing while, while you were there. Yeah, so mainly it was humanitarian work. Uh, I was bringing advanced medical supplies. I was bringing medicines. Uh, these, would be, um, these wouldn't be like your normal paracetamols and things like that. I was bringing high-end medicines there that would be needed to be given to either a frontline field hospital or to um, a hospital that is taking care of soldiers or civilians who have been um, affected by the war, who have received war injuries, say, for example. Um, I made my way over to um, to Kiev straight away. So basically, once I entered, I took the, the 10, 11 hour drive there to get to Kiev, uh, took a rest, obviously, for a day to, to catch up on sleep after the long drive across Europe. And I was making my way then to an orphanage then in the Boyarka region which is the, say, southern, southwestern part of the Kiev district. Not Kiev centre, mm. but just, just kind of a, like a town or a village off it. Um, and that is um, where th- I found an orphanage where um, kids who have been affected, unfortunately, by the war lost their parents. Um, these kids were taken from the Donbass region. Um, and, and basically homed. Um, so so they're under government care. Desperately sad, is it, just to see these kids? That are... The stories I heard, Fran, um, from the people caring for these children, some of these children didn't talk for weeks. Um, they've witnessed the most horrible atrocities um, basically committed against their parents. Um, some of these parents witnessed rape, torture and execution of their parents, as well as, you know, been been around uh, missile strikes and artillery strikes. So these kids are scarred for life, really, was it, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. It, it's just unthinkable, really. Um, what about the resolution of, of the people at this point, uh, Andrew? Are they, are they still, you know, in support of Zelensky and in support of this war? 100%. Yes. Absolutely they are. And uh, I think this is something, again, that I've tried to communicate throughout the start. Ukrainian people are very, very much like Irish people. You know, they're very proud people. They're very strong people. Um, they love their family. They love their religions. And there's different religions within the country. Yes. And, you know, it's a very, they try to be as inclusive um, as they possibly can. They have had their homes basically invaded or their homeland invaded. And it's no different than our history going back, you know, Mm. 800 years Mm. ago, 900 years ago. And they just want their territory back and they want to live in peace. They don't want any other territory other than their own. And that's what they're fighting for. They're fighting for their home. And they're willing to keep fighting for that. 100%. 100%, yeah. 
And is there anybody out there, or are there factions who are saying, listen, we need to talk peace at this point, we need to... to You're always going to have people who are, are going to be in opposition. I mean, that's, that's kind of par for the par for the course. Uh, most of the people who would uh, be willing for peace haven't been touched or affected by the war. And this is something that uh, people need to understand, is that the, the front lines change all the time over in Ukraine. Mm. In the initial stages of the invasion, and I call it the invasion because this is not when the war started. The war started back in 2014 mm. and how I know that is because I had to evacuate my own wife from um, from the Luhansk region, basically from Lugansk. And actually as she was, a, her dad was driving her out at her at the time when he was well, he the train station was, was blown up. So this is back in 2014. Um, so this invasion only drew international attention here um, really because of uh, what the Russians were actually doing mm. and they were staging this attack, you know, what appeared to be for months. Um, so this was a methodical and it was a calculated attack from the Russian army to seize a country. And th the problem with this is that, you know, sovereign territory is sovereign territory at the end of the day. And now there's been war crimes committed now from the from the Russian occupiers. And the Ukrainian army are going to defend against this. They're trying to conduct themselves as best as they possibly can under the Geneva Convention. And again, as they say, you know, war is hell. You know, that's the old saying. And um, what's happening now in the likes of Bak uh, Bakhmut and uh, Solidar uh, is, is mm. absolutely horrendous. The, what concerns me though is that I can't see an end to this because you speak about the resolution of the Ukrainian people and there's no doubt in my mind that Russia and Putin to say face I mean he's limited in what he can do uh, as well I suppose not to be taking his side in any way but I'm just wondering about the whole political reality of it. I mean is there an end to this? There has to be an end. There's always going to be an end eventually. Um, I have my suspicions and things like that as to what will happen. Um, what I believe is that all of a sudden this war will stop. Now, why it will stop is 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 way above my pay grade and way above my maybe my uh, geopolitical experience. But you know, very very similar to uh, to other wars. You know, all of a sudden this just happens. Is this going to happen with a, you know a great victory or a great loss? No, I don't think so. There's going to have to be peace uh, peace talks at some point. However, uh, I don't feel that the Ukrainians should or will. Um, you know, give um, serious peace discussions unless it's a return of all of their sovereign territory. Mm. I do believe concessions are going to have to be made on both sides. Um, but Russian, the Russian army has been shown up for exactly exactly what it is, a corrupt organisation who has uh, depleted um, resources and are basically giving their own soldiers six, seven days training uh, a rifle there that the grandfather used and a uniform that the grandfather used back from the Korean War or back from the, you know, the Soviet era. And they're, they're been literally sent into a meat grinder in Bakhmut and Solidar. Even if peace comes about, and God knows it's, it's what most uh, right-thinking people are hoping for, but, I mean, you have a country that is going to be so depleted because of the attacks on it. I mean, what are you seeing out there in terms of the, To rebuild Ukraine... Yeah. 
I mean, are we talking about a decade and where would that money come from? It's, it's, uh, it's going to be a long road, obviously, for the Ukrainians to recover from this. Um, the psychological effects of this are going to be uh, felt for generations to come, not just, you know, years or months to come. Um, I was in Kharkiv. Kharkiv, again, as I said earlier, was, uh, was frontline, was invaded by the Russians. And I saw um, the school, basically, that was headline news, whereby there were over 200 people, civilians, inside in that, that yeah. was artillery, and um, there was grad missiles, and they, they unfortunately blew the school up. That school is still there. Uh, it's still uh, in the way um, that it was left, unfortunately. But what I have seen as well is residential buildings blown up. Um, and these were people where, pe- where people were living, people were staying. But in the Kharkiv region, they're already starting to rebuild. And this is, you know, they, they only received liberation back in late April. And, you know, I heard earlier on there, you're talking about, you know, the housing crisis here and things like that. The Ukrainians have built, you know, roads and they have built houses and residential apartment buildings in super quick time. While, to, while the war is going on? While the war is going on. And yet... Are you serious? And yet we can't build houses for for citizens in Ireland. It's it's a crazy situation. Under perfect conditions. Under perfect conditions, exactly. That's that's uh, an incredible piece of information. The builders even and the contractors, the you know, all the all the, the you know, the normal civil servants over there, everybody there is working for Ukraine. Everybody. Um, whether it's in a volunteer capacity, whether it's in a government capacity, or whether they're trying to run their own business like supermarkets and, and all sorts. So obviously it's very difficult because there are things you know like blackouts. Yes. So there's two different types of blackouts over there. There's an emergency blackout and then there's a critical blackout. And an emergency blackout is basically like a rationed or planned blackout by the government so that they can ration energy appropriately. They try to give everybody enough power, so usually around eight hours power hour a day and that way they can get their cooking done, their washing done and things like that but quite often they're left in in darkness for periods of time. And then a critical blackout then is because of an attack on critical infrastructure. And usually that the Ukrainians will have to, obviously, to preserve their what's left of their, their energy infrastructure, they're going to have to shut down by doing emergency blackouts. But they're still going, they're still fighting, and they're still, you know, trying to adapt to the situation. And and talk to me about uh, weather, because, I mean, here we are, we're all very concerned. It's, it's under zero uh, here, and we're all very cold and feeling mm-hmm. sorry for ourselves. So how bad does it get uh, out there in it can get up to minus 30, 40 degrees easily. Um, I was sitting in, uh, in, in the Kharkiv region there and it was minus 11. Um, and my mum, I was laughing at my mum because she said, the beast from the east is coming, you know, is coming to Ireland. And so what kind of temperatures are you talking about? She said, I think about minus three. I said, the van is minus 11 now at the moment. So I was kind of laughing a little bit. But um, It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. It's just a different part of the world. They, they, this is a normal weather system for them. So, you know, they, they will adapt to that. But, you know, to, to put it into context in, in terms of what the soldiers are experiencing, you know, and what the citizens are experiencing, if you have no energy, you know, your house or your apartment building is going to get very cold very, very quickly. So, you know, obviously they're going to have to, to wrap up because minus 20, even minus 11, you know, we can go out now and it's quite fresh and we'll stick on a pair of gloves and a mm. hat. Your skin starts to burn when you're in minus 20 degrees. It literally starts to burn. So you have to cover, you know, every exposed piece of skin. Uh, otherwise, after about five, six minutes, you're, you're going to be susceptible to frostbite and hypothermia. And you don't have the warm home often to 
to go home too. Quite uh, often, which yeah. Is, which exactly. is the, the case exactly. too. What do you make of the conversation changing? I mean, w- when this first happened, Irish people stood up to the place. They offered their homes. They offered all sorts of great uh, works and uh, tried their best to look after Ukrainian people. Now we're reading in the paper today, uh, Ukrainians uh, will be urged to avoid coming to Ireland for a three-week period due to accommodation capacity constraints. Mm-hmm. And there is no doubt at this point, Andrew, we are at capacity. I agree. What, what, what do you make of that? I mean, look, it is what it is. I mean, we're, we have our own struggles here with the housing crisis and things like that. The Irish people have stood up and they have done absolutely remarkable work in trying to help this situation. I think there's more we can still do. I think our, our own government need to stand up themselves and they need to start building houses. You know, we're in a, a, a situation now where the whole world has an inflated economy and that's an issue. So I don't know, is it an issue there where our government doesn't want to build because of inflated houses and they're waiting for the markets to, to crash to decide then that they will actually build. But there is more that we can do and, and what I've said to you earlier on is like there are people there and you can see all the evidence of where I was. I was in Lehman and that village in Lehman is pretty much totaled. Um, and these were schools and their houses and villages that just, are just, just raised. They're just, just raised to the ground. There's nothing left of them. And there are people there, you know, who have patched up their roof or patched up their doors or their walls. And they're still living in those conditions because it's, you know, uh, through the ambulance service and the fire service here in Ireland, we often would hear of stubborn patients. And, and it's like, I was born in this house and I'll yeah, die in this yeah, house. And yeah. it's, you know, we all have that mentality within our within our culture. And that's the resolve of, of the Ukrainian people that's what they know that's what they've done for all of their lives and and they just want they just want a peaceful life but um yeah. is there going to be an end to it yeah everything does come to an end but uh, it can only end with uh, with the russian army going home and you'd wonder at what stage that something like that will will happen uh, when are you going out again andrew i hope to go back again at the at the end of january so I'll be going back out again to um, to train again the, the Ukrainian Armed Forces in tactical medicine. And I'll also be bringing frontline medicines as well to the field hospitals. I'm not really committing to a place or a region. I will be in the eastern part of Ukraine again. Um, yes. as I, I know the region quite well. And uh, it, it will be close to the front line where, where I'll be. Right. Can people help you out uh, in terms of what it is you'll be bringing out there? If they can, that would be absolutely amazing. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, we've done so much there for, as I said, orphanages and, and families and, and, uh, and the frontline hospitals. Um, but anything at all, I'll be running a couple of raffles again. And, you know, I don't expect people to, you know, to give for nothing. And, you know, we've had some very, very generous businesses here in, in Clonmel. Um, again, I just want to mention um, Handy Controls, who, who donated two generators which we got um, so they're keeping two schools two orphanages warm um, so thank you so much for that uh, Barlow Motor Group Tip Tires um, EMF Controls you know, people and businesses have been so great because they understand that this could just as easily be them and if this was a situation Fran that happened in Ireland our people would not be able to survive they would not they have no idea what it is like over on the eastern part of Ukraine. None whatsoever. And unfortunately, the news does not portray exactly what is going on. I mean, these are residential buildings and I'm hearing people arguing now on social media. What about our own? We can't house our own homeless and this and that and the other thing. Guys, our own homeless, I've I've worked with the homeless for over 14 years. 
Okay, I've trained up the likes of Merchants Key Ireland, their staff and social workers, the likes of the Anna Liffey Drug Project, their staff, their social workers. I've seen the conditions. I understand the statistics. People now are too easily manipulated on social media for clickbaits and likes and shares. And they think that by reading a newspaper article or by reading an internet story that this educates them on such matters. And unfortunately, it doesn't. Um, the situation in Ireland here isn't good with our own homeless. And there is things that we can do and there is more things that our government should be doing, absolutely. But also as well, you have people who are affected by the war there, who have literally witnessed the worst atrocities known to man. The Wagner Group, for example, who are over in Ukraine, are committing war crimes on a daily basis. They're crucifying people, Fran. I mean, crucifying them, torturing them and then burning them alive. This is a private military, military group that is... They're mercenaries. They're, they're elite soldiers. These are elite mercenary soldiers and they're contesting back now at the moment. And what they're doing is they're getting Russian soldiers, conscripts, basically plucked from their homes and they're sending them in waves of three, four, five hundred. And all they're doing is they're letting them be cannon fodder where they target then... Ukrainian uh, defence lines and this is this needs my to god. end My god, it's it's amazing to hear the story told like that. Andrew, we appreciate your time, we appreciate what you've been doing in uh, Ukraine as well and thanks for coming in to us uh, Thank today. you so much. Thank you. Really News and information's it. on the way Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Welcome back to the second hour of Tip Today, 1800-938-007. We have that prize for you, afternoon tea for two, including a selection of scrumptious fresh sandwiches and scones and delicious bite-sized desserts. God, that sounds gorgeous. Anyway, that is our prize from our friends at the Talbot Hotel in Clonmel, and they are celebrating the fact they have the Christmas gift vouchers for sale. So it's a nice idea, idea for a prezi for somebody you're fond of. Um, you could buy a voucher for a, a couple of nights' stay in their luxury suites or afternoon tea or their relaxing spa treatment or whatever. Anyway, if you want to win that afternoon tea for two, uh, it's based on your interaction with us by WhatsApp and text. But Talbot Hotel or just Talbot at the end of your contribution and we will pop you in the draw. It's as simple as that. And now, just some reaction to Andrew Last, who was speaking to me about his experience of war in Ukraine. Uh, good morning, Fran. If Ukraine wasn't uh, entering NATO and other security threats to Russia, Russia would not be in Ukraine. Simple as that. Uh, this gentleman uh, never mentioned the neo-Nazi Ukrainian uh, battalions uh, launching strikes from schools, apartment buildings, etc. There's always uh, two sides. <coughs> Excuse me to a story. Uh, other than that, it's largely positive uh, about Andrew's chat with me this morning. One listener describing him as a brilliant man. Somebody else saying, Fran, um, how can we support um, Andrew going back to Ukraine in January? And we'll give you details of that. <coughs> Do excuse me as time goes on. Um, we think we have it bad, Fran, but uh, listening to 
uh, Andrew's story, I would call that a nightmare. And God help those people, says Margot. And uh, Noel was on to say, Fran, it's great to hear such a compassionate and knowledgeable man speak about Ukraine. People need to be aware of the absolute horror the Ukrainian people are facing. When I hear the narrative that we need to take care of our own, um, I get so upset. A person in need is a person in need, regardless of nationality. This is one of our listeners going to uh, WhatsApp then. Um, Austin was on to us from the UK, listening uh, in the UK this morning, saying excellent interview view, uh, highlighting the plight of the people in Ukraine. Uh, let me see, what else have we got here? Um, Fran, corruption in every part of the world. Life is short. Live and let live, says Martin, who's in Dundrum today. And uh, lots of uh, happy Christmas. Uh, wishes coming into us as well, and thank you very much indeed for that. Now, I started the programme by speaking to Councillor Kieran Burke about antisocial behaviour and the fact that people who are experiencing that from neighbours and the like, that they seem to get no solace from making complaints in any way. Now, we got a lot of people um, uh, speaking about that to us as well on social media. Uh, the situation as regards antisocial behaviour is totally out of control, says Pat Lynch to us today. Somebody saying very simply, that guy, and that's referring to Kieran Bork, is telling the absolute truth. Somebody else saying it's about a time uh, that a councillor stood up and spoke about this. Now, we received a message from one of our Nina listeners regarding a Romanian homeless couple in a town who are struggling to find uh, emergency accommodation. Well, Andrea uh, DeVito joins me now. Andrea, good morning to you. Good morning, friend. And always good to talk to you, Andrea. Will, <laughs> yeah. will you tell me the, the story of, of the couple in Nina? Um, well, I've noticed the, the man outside Aldi for quite a some time. But it was only a couple of weeks back. I was driving out late to Woody's to get paintbrushes and stuff. And I noticed what looked to be like people sleeping rough outside Expert Electricals. So I, was, I wasn't sure, you know, that kind of, I could just see, like, there was, like, some stuff around them, if yes. you get me. Yeah. I didn't know if somebody was in it or not. And because I was on my own, I wasn't approaching it. Yeah. Um, about a week after that, I noticed it again. And so I went out then with a friend one evening, and yeah, there was it was himself from Aldi and uh, his wife, and they were sitting in the corner outside uh, experts with two like shopping trolleys around them, and blankets over the trolleys to kind of block, you know, cold or whatever. Yeah. And I was to Google Translate, and we we had brought some uh, pets and extra blankets because it was a first one the first night the cold zip. And, you know, from what we gathered off them was they, they did want to get in out of the cold and they just didn't know where to go or what to do. And they couldn't speak English, Andrea? Uh, no. Very little, just lady, lady, and thank yes. you, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'd given him a tent about the first week I'd noticed he was there. I asked him, was he, I met him one day outside Aldi, and I said, are you the guy, are you up there? And he said, yes, yes, me and my wife. And I said, here's a tent. It's not one. It's not a pop up. You have to, you know, pull it up yourself. Now I explained it with gestures. I didn't even get out Google Translate. I just here's the tent. You mm. know, do something with it. Um, but he was trying to explain to me that the other night that the tent, um, kids throwing things and urinating. He was saying they piss, piss, piss. You know, on the tent. Um, 
you know, so the, the kid serious? was over. Yeah, that's what he says. That people, kids were throwing bottles on them and urinating in the tent and stuff. So, um, we got them a few baits. We said we'd try and get them help. That we we try and talk to the council, etc. Um, he had said that one of the guards, a uh, lady, Don guard, lovely guard, had something about hostel, but only the lady and not him. So mm. they chose not to go in. So the following day, we went we went out looking for him, brought him out of coffee, and we brought his wife out as far as the council office um, because we were looking to meet Michella, I can't think of her name. She's over the housing, homeless housing section right. here. Okay. She's here once a week, say. Mm. So we'd gone down to the services on the Tuesday, but they told us to run out to council office. We went out, and she told us unless they worked for 52 weeks and had a stamp, you know, they couldn't apply for housing. So that was fine. So she gave us a number for um and, and, and there's no that. there's no emergency. I mean No, no, no. There wasn't at this stage, no. Right. And so their old friend or guest rang me back and said all that they could do was help health wise, like mm. send out a public health nurse. Yes. So a colleague of his, uh, Mary Warfish, so they'd be over the Midwest say. Yes. So she got back to me and she relayed the same thing. Listen, this is all we can do is help if they need a doctor, dentist, etc. put them on that. But unless they have 52 weeks of stamps, they can't go on housing. So the only advice that she gave and also that the council gave was, A, go into the cities where there's more resources like Limerick, Dublin, Cork, where there is, you know, outreach programs and hostels and, you know, rooms at night for people to get in off the street. Or B, we can get you onto the social welfare to help you get a payment to get a flight home to Romania because this isn't a, this isn't a life. It's not a life to sit around in the cold begging and sleeping outside, you know? And were you able to get any, I know there's a language barrier, but were you able to get any idea of their story, Andrea? Like why, why they came here in the first place, what they were expecting here? What he said was they had worked in England he done footpaths in England, uh, hurt his hip or something. So they ended up coming back over here to the north, trying to get work there. And I don't know what happened. I, I really couldn't really make it out much. Mm, just they yeah. moved on. Right. And they came down here. And they don't feel safe in Limerick. They've been there. They don't feel safe. They don't like it at night. It's not safe. Here is safe. He kept saying pointing at all the RS experts did Dubai, Dubai, happy happy here, Dubai, Dubai go to work, and he points over at Aldi and I stay here, and we caretake, mine, pick up because he's just, he picked up rubbish and stuff, and we're here, and we have camera, the camera is over their heads apparently, so they feel safe, safe with CCTV and all where that where they feel safer there then over near the wall where the tent was. So he brought us over to the actual tent um, the day we brought her to the council. He brought me and my friends over and showed us the tent. There's two tents, actually. So the one that we gave him, so they had a, a palace with quilts on top of that. Yes. And they were all damp and wet and going green mold. In the space of the week, 10 days that he had that tent, everything in it was ruined. You could smell the urine in it. You could see it was... You know, not. But, but, not but a, tell, tell me about the urine. It like 
had people peed on it deliberately? Is that that's what that's what he said. That's what I gathered oh, from God. what he was saying. Yeah, the young people, uh, kids, 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 driving and throwing bottles. There was wine bottles thrown in on them. Is what he said. They come, they hit, they they shake tents, they shout, they scream, they scare my wife. So they choose to stay parked outside uh, outside um, expert at night. Mm. So they get up in the morning, they go get coffee in the garage, and they come back. And he sits outside all day, and she is outside Kennedy Street Market. And currently, Andrea, I mean, look at look at how cold it is. Are they still in? They are still there. This is the thing. Last Wednesday, um, a friend of mine, Katrina, she managed to get them into the Abbey Court Hotel. Mm. So we brought them down. The staff were amazing, mm. brilliant. They were so relieved. They were crying. They were just so thankful. They really, really were. Um, that was brilliant. So we told them, get your breakfast in the morning. Don't leave without your breakfast. Mm. So they got up, they left, gone without the breakfast. So that afternoon, followed that afternoon, I went out again and two went out. We were like, what's the story? You forgot your breakfast. And they were like, no, 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 no. Too nice, too nice. And... and no burden. They want to be a burden. This is what they were saying. But they came down. They had the Saturday. We got managed to get another donor, an anonymous donor, paid for the Saturday night again. So two anonymous donors paid for the Wednesday and the Thursday night. Right. So that was grand. So Friday we had no accommodation because the hotel said they were booked. Mm. So a, a lovely woman took them into her own home for the night. Obviously, she couldn't do it long term yes, she just, course, just yeah. this, I can't I couldn't couldn't go home from work knowing they were out there so she took them home with them and so then Sunday we had managed to get them into an Airbnb now at this stage we had set up a GoFundMe yes and with the funds were there we had I think was it eight or nine hundred euro by Sunday evening you know mm. and this lady agreed to keep them in the B&B up to this Friday tomorrow Right. But two rules, no smoking, you know, and mm. just no shoes on upstairs, which was fine, That's which fine. was perfect. Yeah. Yeah. And we went out to bring him up, and he was kind of reluctant to go. He didn't really want to go in, and he wanted to stay where he was. And, like, we had to really, really urge him, you'll die out here. It's super cold tonight. Please, come with us. So they did. They came with us. But I... I don't think it went that well that night. I I think he might have been smoking up yeah. in the room. And yeah. I think, well, you know, it just wasn't suitable accommodation, unfortunately. And they weren't able to stay after that night. Right. And, you know, the lady was, you know, she was very regretful. And she was an amazing woman to, to, to bring I'm them sure, in, you know. I'm sure, absolutely. She's a lovely yeah. woman. And um, But it, what, what about now then, Andrea? Now, uh, that was Sunday night. So Monday night, they, or some, yeah, they set out. Apparently, their two two sons have come back from Limerick to join them here. They were here before. They left, and now they're back. And now there's four of them sleeping rough outside Expert at present. Now, local count, uh, Jamie got back to me yesterday to tell me that the couple were brought to... There's an emergency accommodation for cold weather protocol, yes. freezing weather protocol. It's in Cashel. And it was it was started last Thursday night for one room for up to four nights. I think they've extended that now, obviously, because it's seriously cold still. 
But as far as I can gather, they were brought down there to, you know, go in and spend the night. But unfortunately, it wasn't a double bed and there was no television, so he wouldn't stay. And but that's he where doesn't, we are he doesn't now. have television when he's, he didn't, no, when no, he's outside of... No, he doesn't. We could not. I can't get my head around that. Now, we are. We have a, a lovely amount of money in the GoFundMe. We, obviously, we stopped this. Of course, we did when we knew it. Was, and we said it on our page. Lads, you know, the, the couple, we can't get them suitable accommodation. We mm. can. Because mm. it doesn't seem to be suitable for them. Yes. For some reason, you know. If, if they want to have smoke, that's, you know, yeah. smoke outside like but, everybody else. But some would so they'd prefer to be out they on the street. they prefer to be out. And I can't get my head around it. Neither can Katrina or, or my other friend. Right. None of us can understand. Again, well, I suppose we've done that's, our best. Yeah, that's their and choice, we're left I suppose. Now, but, yeah. We're left now with this idea of like, you know, we have a nice bit of money and we're hoping tomorrow to go to the various local places and donate that money. Because the Nina people, they dug so deep yes. into their pockets at this time of year to help these people. Yes. To get these people in off the clothes. Like, there was loads of people going out giving them soup and teas yeah, and yeah. blankets and coats. We met lots of people that have been in the background, like ourselves were, just potting around and keeping an eye out for them. But the bottom line is, they don't want to go. They seem to be happier outside in this cold. They do not want to go to the cities. They just want to stay where they are. And look... I honestly don't know because they are receiving money there every day. You know, they are earning a few bucks, you yeah. know, and from, from it, begging, like they are. Right, so so they're looking for money from, from people, yeah. Oh, yeah, there's, 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 that's what they do. They right. they sit outside shops and people donate a few pounds or buy them sandwiches or soup. Like, they are being looked after, but they're there a long time. This yeah. is going on a long time. But, but, but you, like we, a lot of people, you're finding it hard to get your head around how people... I live. am now. Yes, I mean, I they, they were so happy Wednesday and Thursday night, over the moon, to be getting in out of the cold. Mm. Um, now, I don't know if they smoked in the hotel. I don't know. I mean, we didn't think there was any... We didn't hear of any complaints. Mm. We didn't hear mm. of any, you know, I don't know. But well, in one sense, Fran, I reached out to you because... The fact is, we don't have an actual outreach program in Nina as it is. Okay, yes. we and realize you're saying to me if people did need uh, yes. accommodation, yes. It's, it's just not there, Andrea. And no, that's what you've there. discovered it's not through there. this. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's there for emergency protocol, but it was there for whoever might be present themselves at homeless in Nina at the present moment would be told to go to Cashel. Mm. The B and B in Cashel on John's Road, had a PJ somebody owned it, and that's the that's the that's what's working this week. Say. Yes. Um, yeah. But other than that, if you were homeless, uh, yeah, and I know Nina, I know they do a great like, job there in Cashel, but I mean Cashel is a long way from Nina, you know. Well, it's it a, is. It yeah. is, and like I just kind of highlighting the fact, Jesus, you know, I didn't realise that there was so little available if someone was presenting homeless in Nina. Now, it's been brought to my attention since that there's a sleeping bag has been appearing, like in the likes of the old on stores. I, somebody was apparently sleeping rough in McQuaid um, there during the week as well, Thursday or Friday morning, wrapped in a duvet. Now, I don't know. I didn't see it myself, but it's, there is hidden homeless. 
there is people sleeping that were not seen. Yeah, I'm just looking um, at the screen in front of me. I'm, I'm seeing here that there's people in Thurles, for example, sleeping rough as yeah. well. As, as and as I don't know what program they have in Thurles, but I can tell you the council centres are tied here. Now, the services, look, in fairness, everyone did do their best. They gave me the phone numbers. They gave me the, well, look, mm. this is what we can do and this is what we can't do. Now, I know that Mary Murphy rang me back um, two days ago to tell me that they were going out to Aldi herself and a public health nurse to try and find Bagram mm. and Yuleta, that's their name, yes. to give them a, a once-over, a health check, because I had reached out to them they have to do this now and re- report back to the HSC, you know. Mm. Well, so, well fair, fair play to them, at least for going out there. But as you say, there's nothing in place if people are in dire no, need, you know. No, yeah. no, there isn't. I mean, there's no coming here. And I, as far as I know now, I didn't get told mm. any difference. But as far as I know, for them to go in, anyone that, that's homeless, to, you know, you can come in on the Tuesday here and have a shower and get your hair cut. I don't think any of that is here. I know down... Um, Kenyon Street, the old Midwestern Health Board, they have them, there's a, uh, if, you're, if you're homeless, there's a, the woman over that is the Magella Cant, is it Madden or something? Oh, they, Madden yeah, or you, something. Need, you didn't mind about but names. It's only one yeah. day a week yeah. that yeah. you go in and you say, you know, I'm homeless, blah, 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 I sign on here, blah, blah, blah. I'm not I'm not sure, I don't know the ins and outs. She goes to Ross Gray on a Wednesday yes. and she's somewhere else. But right now in Nina, say, if someone was to find themselves homeless tonight, okay, turn out their flash or whatever, there is zilch. There is nothing. And that's, that's sad because mm. we're heading into a really tough year. The eviction uh, order is going to be lifted come February. You know, landlords can take back their properties. People are going to find rent very difficult to pay. People are going to find themselves homeless through no fault of their own. And if that happens in Nina, you're saying there's no place for them, really? If that happens in Nina, which it probably will, you know, mm. not everyone is in a position to take home their adult children. Yes. With their own children. Do you get me? We've yeah, we a lot of families there that are living hand-to-mouth, behind closed doors, and to the rest of the world, they're looking like they're coping. When in reality, they're not. They're oh. not. You know, they're, they're well, one paycheck or rent away from losing everything. From losing everything. their home. Yeah, and and Andrea, I, I, I'm just about out of time with this item and I must leave it there, but uh, thank you so problem. much for, for highlighting that, Andrea. It's a remarkable story, isn't it? Listen, I just want to say, like, look, they, they, the services did do their best. Yeah, sure. The services just aren't there in Nina. The people we did speak to did the best they yes. could with the limited stuff that they had. Do you get me? Okay. Uh, you know, I'm not... not all right, Andrea. Well, thank okay. you so much for for coming on with me today, okay, and, and thank you for attempting to do some great work there. Anyway, Listen, wasn't, I wasn't on my own, I know that. and I everyone know. that reached out and donated yeah. uh, from the bottom of our hearts, we sincerely thank them, and their money will go back into the community to families that need this Christmas. Thanks, Andrea. Thank you and uh, good morning to you and a happy Christmas to you as well. That's uh, Andrea DeVito there with a a very interesting story, a very interesting um, angle on homelessness, I suppose, as well, in that some people, you know, do choose to remain homeless for whatever reasons uh, themselves. But ideally, there should be accommodation there just in case somebody is in a dire position. We'll take a break back in a moment. 
Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Now, uh, Councillor Shamie Morris was on just to confirm that that Romanian couple, that they were driven from Nina to Cashel and uh, they were presented with accommodation there but it didn't suit them uh, because there wasn't a double bed and there wasn't a TV which is exactly what Andrea said to us and um, so they chose not to take up the accommodation there and um, they went back to Nina and uh, back to uh, a homeless situation of living on on the street 1800 Now, you might remember the North Tipperary Community Rail Partnership conducted a survey aimed at anybody living along the Ballybrophy Limerick, that's for Yanina Railway Line, uh, to share their perspective uh, on uh, current services available. Well, Elaine Baker is a member of the North Tipperary Community Rail Partnership and she joins me now. Elaine, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. Thanks for having me on. You're very welcome indeed. You now have some results from this, Elaine. What what emerged from the findings? Yes, so um, as, as you mentioned, we have um, the results of, of our survey. So thanks to all the listeners who, who participate in the survey after the last time um, that you had me on, the, on mm. in May. Um, so we got 259 responses um, and um, we used those survey results in a presentation to um, the National Transport Authority um, in, in late November. So we're really using those survey results to amplify the voices of people living along the line and bring those to the authorities. And the key finding really was that um, timetabling is really the main barrier to more people mm. u- using the, the, the railway line. You know, 95% of people mentioned um, frequency and the timetabling as the big as the biggest barrier. Seventy one percent mentioned the low speed of the train, um, and then sixty nine percent mentioned the linkages. So that's the linkages with the um, between the train line and the other public transport services. Yes. So yeah. that 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 includes also you know maybe having a, a, a transport hub in Nina. Um, where at the train station, so that the linkages and the um, can be can be set up. Um, you mean like from buses and the like as well? Is that it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you ha- currently you have to like walk all the way from the bus the bus stop to the train station okay. if you want to make a linkage, and the times don't line up either. Mm. Um, so it's tr- trying to sort of link up better the bus services and the train services, and um, so that they should be more coordinated. That's something that uh, many people also called for. Um, in the survey. Mm, it seems to me like the changes that people are looking for are not huge changes, Elaine. You know, they, it could be done relatively easily, is that, or is that naive of me? Um, well, what we're really looking for is at least four um, trains in each direction each day. And that's that's really, you know, a sort of a minimum level of service that people can, um, can, mm. can, can make really usable. And respondents said that, you know, we they would take um, more than three times as many journeys on the train um, than um, if, if there was such a service rather relative to, to now. So that's really the biggest barrier. And um, so, what, you know, there's a lot of investment gone into the line mm. um, with the infrastructure. So there's no point in having this nice infrastructure there with only, um, you know, with only two and a half trains in each direction each day. So we of really course. need four, 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 four trains in each direction in e- each day at a minimum. Is, is the early one particularly in question because people might take the opportunity to go to work using the train? 
Yeah, so um, there is an early morning train from Nina um, in into Limerick, um, but that starts in Nina and it doesn't um, go to it doesn't start in Clock Jordan or Ross Grey. So people living in Clock Jordan and Ross Grey currently don't have any way of getting in by any mode of tra- public transport, but getting into Limerick. And you know, people well. share stories in the survey about you know people going trying to get to college in Limerick, trying to you know go to work in Limerick, and they really have no choices. They can't afford sometimes afford to to get accommodation in Limerick, and mm. yet and there's no tr- public transport from Clock Jordan or Ross Grey um, into Limerick that, that will get you in for nine o'clock in the morning. So um, so it's yeah. So we heard lots of people shared their 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 stories as well as sort of the statistics. We got a lot of good um, sort of um, people sharing their stories and their perspectives, which we passed on then um, in the presentation to um, Marion Wilson of, of the National Transport Authority recently. And we're um, using those results. We're taking them to Erin Roderan. We're taking them to our um, uh, our TDs, the minister um, and, and different authorities to really sort of push hard to, to mm. get people's voices heard. And have you any indications so far as to how Erin uh, Roderan might react to what you're proposing? Um. We are very hopeful and um, we've had positive um, indications from different authorities um, that um, that we could get um, um, more trains in each direction um, in 2023. So, but we really, you know, we really need to keep up the pressure because it's not, you know, no, we haven't got any commitments and we've just sort of got positive noises um, mm. from 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 many of the different authorities on that. So we really need to keep up the pressure. Um, and, you know, if, if any of your listeners are talking to their TDs as well, um, you know, it's something definitely to bring up. I can't understand why Eamon Ryan and the Greens aren't all over this because it plays into exactly what the Green narrative is, get people out of their motor cars and get more people to use public transport, Elaine. Oh, yeah, completely, completely. Um, and... Um, you know that's why you know it's partly why we're we're quite hopeful. We have heard we have had quite positive um, feedback and indications that we we might achieve. Um, you know the line went from being something that was a threat of being closed. Yeah. Now you know it had significant investment in it, um, and the public transport fares have come down, which is also great. Um, and you know the, the the train fares is only it's only three euros one way or six euros return. Um, to get it to get in and out of Limerick, so you know that's so. There's a lot of you know positive things happening, and you know the train is a great service, but we really just need to keep pushing hard for for the increased frequency. All right, and the next step, Elaine, is what? Um, yeah, is it so a case of waiting for for results? Um, well, we're continuing to sort of organise meetings. We're going to have regular meetings now with the National Transport Authority. Mm. Um, and you know, continue to 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 push to push forward and push the authorities on 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 this issue. Well, we've delighted you've come so far, Elaine. Because as I say, I remember the conversations around the possibility of losing it all together. So I mean, you have come come quite a distance. Yes, no, the group is. I mean, I I only joined the group a year and a half ago, mm. but the the group has done great work for 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 yeah. many years. And and then maybe and the the the. We have had some timetable changes recently um, mm. as well. Um, so um, on Sunday, last Sunday, Erin um, O'Daren have introduced some timetable changes. Um, so the biggest change is that the mid-morning train into Limerick now gets into Limerick more than an hour earlier. So it gets in at 10.48am uh, instead of 12.07pm. Um, 
so that that's that's the biggest change and then the evening train out of Limerick leaves 15 minutes later so it leaves at 17.10 instead of 16.55 so these changes are improvements and they will help commuters um, and and, and other users. Um, however, they're m- relatively minor mm. um, improvements. So we're really, um, you know, we're really pushing for the at least the four trains in each direction um, at, at, at a minimum. But in the meantime, these, you know, the, the minor changes that were introduced last Sunday um, to the train timetable are, you know, they are an improvement and they did take on board um, some of the suggestions coming from people. All right. Elaine, really good to talk to you today. Thank you and good morning to you. Um, sorry, actually, one, yes. sorry, I also wanted to just cover, um, we're doing a train outing to Limerick on Ice. Oh, very um, good. Right. Yes. Yeah. So, um, so this is this is a really great community event. Um, it was organised um, before COVID was organised regularly. Um, and it's a great day out on the train where the whole community gets together, all go on the train together and go to Limerick on Ice. Um, and Limerick and Ice have, are offering a um, special discount to our group and um, that's travelling to the train and the train fare is at less than six euro return. So we're going in on early January. So on the 3rd of January, um, a group from Nina and on the 4th of January, a group from Clock Jordan. Um, so we're signing up people. Um, so communityrailpartnership at gmail.com. So um, that's the way people can sign up if they're interested in, in joining in. It's really, you know, a great day out. What a lovely idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So so community rail partnership at gmail.com. Yes, yeah, for anybody who's interested in in finding out more and joining the group from Nina or from Clock Jordan um, in the 3rd or the 4th of of January, yeah. All right, Elaine, have a lovely time and thank you so much. Thank you, good morning to you. Thanks for having me on, Fran. You're welcome anytime. Thank you and a happy Christmas. That's Elaine Baker there speaking to us and Elaine, a member of the North Tipperary Community Rail Partnership, 1800-938. 007. If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip Today on 1-800-938-007. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Fran, I'm waiting on a train in Nina this morning. The waiting room is closed and no access to toilets. It's absolutely disgraceful on such a cold morning. We heard a similar story about Thurlis uh, the other day as well, where the uh, waiting room there has been closed for years, seemingly. And, uh, yeah. Um, uh, Mick uh, saying, I live in uh, Tip. I work in Cork. I drive. The first train from Dublin, Thurlis Nimick Junction, gets into Cork at 9.20. It's a little bit late for work says Mick with uh, tongue-in-cheek and he says, uh, come on, like 9.20am in this day and age students can't get accommodation in Cork yet no transport. And that's nearly dinner time for an awful lot of people. Why can't somebody ask Eamon Ryan about this? Latest new Irish Rail timetable last week didn't change. They said uh, hope to get earlier to Cork in the future but at the moment no drivers. Good God. Um, CIE have a survey on board, Fran. Uh, Templemore Station is not even listed on the form. Uh, Joe was on to us to say that Clock Jordan and Nina have the JJ Cavanagh Sons bus daily to Limerick in Dublin and it's a great service, says Joe. And uh, somebody else then wondering about the Romanian couple on the street saying, did I hear right? They wanted to smoke inside. Yeah, seemingly that's the case. Somebody else saying, have they a TV living rough? Obviously uh, not, but that doesn't seem to concern them. Uh, anyway, let's talk um, farming. And I'm delighted to be joined by Katrina Morrissey, editor of the Irish Farmers Journal. Good morning to you, Katrina. 
Good morning, Fran. And thanks for coming on with me this morning. These new water quality rules, it, it looks like they'll put the land market into overdrive. Can you explain that to me, Katrina? I can, of course, and obviously farmers are always interested and affected by prices of land, whether it's to rent or to buy. Mm. Um, so what's happening is there's a change in the organic nitrogen limit for farms in derogation. And this is a particular group of farmers, about 7,000 of them in the country. And the nitrogen limit that they will be allowed is falling from 250 to 220 kilos per hectare. That's a technical figure. But to put that in layman's language, they will either have to increase the amount of land for the number of cows that they have, or they will have to drop the number of cows they have on the land that they hold. So they're the two options. If they rent land, that's obviously going to cost money. And based on on an average herd, the IFA who conducted this impact analysis, it was their policy analyst, Ty Buckley, um, who worked on this, he said that based on an average, it will cost farmers €18,300 to comply with the new um, nitrogen limit. If they decide, if the farmers as individuals decide, I want to keep the number of cows that I have, you know, this is what Mm. I require for my income, this is what my business is based on, and they go out then into the land market, they are going to obviously increase demand. And when you increase demand, you usually increase price as well. So that would apply um, to both the rental market and probably anybody who is in a position to buy land as well. They're going to say it is worth it from my farm business point of view to spend money to get this land. Right, but the but the alternative is to cut down on the herd. Yes, yes. So that's the alternative. If they can't source land, um, if it's too expensive, they would have to drop down in cow numbers or their herd, the number of animals that's on the land that they hold. It's going to be very interesting to see what happens in 2023, isn't it? Um, we've been speaking over the last few weeks as well, Katrina, about the oversubscription to the Acres scheme um, and a considerable oversubscription. How, how is the Minister reacting to that? The minister has um, a problem on his hands, a good problem, if it's to, if it's if he could call it that. I suppose he has created an environmental scheme that farmers really want to get into, mm. um, and they have wanted. I suppose the application numbers are bigger than even we would have thought in the Farmers Journal. We thought maybe forty thousand would be a good application um, rate for it. In fact, forty-six thousand farmers applied before last week's deadline. Now the problem with that is that is a hell of a lot more farmers than the 30,000 places that have been budgeted for for this year. Next year, sorry, so the scheme, they will be going in in 2023. So the Minister has a problem in his hands. What's he going to do with the 16,000 farmers who have applied over and above what over and above what he has budgeted for? If he finds the money for those, is he going to be looking for to Pascal Donoghue for extra money? Or will he raid the war chest for the 2024 scheme if he does that, are there farmers who had been planning to get into the scheme in 2024 who will be disappointed? So he's not saying much, needless to say. Yeah, <laughs> he yeah. would only say that he is working on trying to get everybody in um, and he is looking at the challenges of the financial challenge and also the logistics because these farmers will require support from agri-advisors and it takes obviously Department of Agriculture personnel as well to manage all of these schemes. Right, but there would be war if he said no 
too. I think the optics would be terrible for yeah. the government. You know, yeah. where the, the, all the narrative... Because they came up is, with this, yeah. They did. Mm. And, and all the narrative is farmers must do more for the environment. Mm. And here we have 46,000 farmers who put their hand up and said, yes, I will do things like a riparian zone along the river. I will do multi-species grassland. I will reduce my slurry um, and the way that I put out my slurry. I'll cut back a fertilizer and, and I will plant trees. These are all of the things that farmers are saying they will do. If the government turns around and says, now, no, actually, we don't want you to do that, I think the optics would be terrible. I think so too. Um, speaking of acres, part of the environmental scheme, that notion about the hedgerows, what, what's happening there where that's concerned, Katrina? Yeah, so Siobhan Walsh, who writes for us, was, was really concerned this week, she said, because she had seen a couple of, um, you know, these, these Twitter storms, as we call them, where someone puts up a photo of a hedge that has been cut for whatever reason. Now, this is the legal season for cutting hedges, so there's no problem doing it at the minute. This particular one was cut very much uh, down to the ground. And suddenly there was this huge pylon. You know, farmers Mm. are killing the ditches and um, this is destruction and environmental vandalism and it goes on and on and on. And Siobhan makes the point, actually, that's not what people think it is at all. This is coppicing. In some cases, to manage a hedge, what you do is you cut it to the absolute scut. And then it grows back more vigorously, more you know, stronger for the coming years, and it's managed from there on. Um, but yet people who don't know that um, can jump, you right, know, and course. say this is environmental vandalism. So, um, Well, this is what's required of farmers, in fact, isn't it? Absolutely. And yeah. there is, this is a measure under acres. Yes. It's going to be a measure. It's coppicing. This is the thing that farmers are being encouraged to do. They're absolutely following right. best And this practice. will have to be done every year. Is that is that it? Generally, the coppicing will be done. It, it's very harsh, I suppose, the first year. After that, it's only trimmed. Right. So okay. you get the growth. And not unlike, you know, your garden plants where you cut maybe a rose bush right back right. to then encourage further growth. Um, so it's something that people are going to see. And the feeling is that it could lead to farmer bashing where it's absolutely not warranted at all. Right, because this is a green initiative. Absolutely. Green right. Initiative is good management of hedgerows. Right. It, 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 but is it not typical of social media for uninformed commentary to be, to be all over the place? It is. And I suppose the challenge, Fran, is, you know, do you continue letting the uninformed go around bashing everybody or do you stand up and say, look, that's, you're just completely incorrect there. Right. Well, this that, is that's good what, practice. That's what you're doing in the journal today, which which is a good thing as well. Um, if you, yeah, this is a question again. We would have come across a lot of times, Katrina. If Europe cuts back on animal production and livestock production and all of that, will it just simply migrate to other countries? This is this is a great concern, isn't it? Huge concern, particularly for Ireland, I suppose. Who is you know we produce sustainable beef from grass, um, and. The argument has always been from Ireland and from other grass-based European countries as well, that if Europe or individual member states within Europe say, no, you know, we don't want this much beef produced in our country, we will cut down on what we're producing, that will not have any effect on what beef is consumed. Mm. And, you know, the the point has always been made that if we cut down in these more sustainable grass-based countries, the beef will still be produced. It'll be just produced in somewhere like South America where there are rainforests cut mm. down to do it. And the quality and actually, won't be what it should be either, I guess. No, we have fantastic standards in, mm. in Ireland and Europe on traceability, on animal welfare, on food production. You know, we're, we're really top-tier um, production. And this new study, which Noel Barden, who was out in Brussels for the Farmers' Journal last week, um, 
found out about is an analysis by the European Commission and it basically confirms what Irish farmers fear, that if Ireland and Europe cuts back on animal production, both the livestock production and the associated greenhouse gases will simply move to other countries. So it won't reduce, it will not reduce the amount of either cattle or beef or the associated greenhouse gas emissions. It'll simply go to another country. And that is what the term that you'll hear is carbon leakage. Right. So it won't do anything for the overall picture. But I guess what the government would look at is what it does for our figures here. Absolutely. And this is the thing about territorial targets, yeah. I suppose, for greenhouse it, gas emissions. But it's emissions. not looking at the big picture. Yeah, it's one planet. We're doing our bit as a member state, but how much is it having an effect overall? Now, I suppose I should point out that if um, the, the same European Commission study found that if um, if livestock production was cut down in Europe, then there would be an improvement in things like nitrogen losses to mm. water mm. in the intensive yes. farming places and ammonia emissions. So. You know, that has to be balanced there as well. All right, Katrina, it's always a pleasure. Thank you so much and uh, good morning to you. That's uh, Katrina uh, Marcy there, who's editor of the Farmer's Journal and the journal is on your shelves right now. News and information's coming up. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Welcome back to Tip Today and it's time for our weekly health slot with the CEO of Marito 8020 in Clonmel. Muriel Cuddy is with me. Muriel, good morning to you. Morning, Fran. I'm kind of shivering in my boots this morning because it's quiz time. I'm smiling here. Quiz I'm looking time. across at you and I'm smiling. I yeah. know. Well, I've, I've um, put a lot of facts in, in and out between it just to um, ease the pressure a little bit, Fran. Right. But um, if anybody's listening in, there's actually 70 um, questions on this mm-hmm. between the facts and whatever. So let's see how many Fran can actually get right. Oh, whoops. Yeah. Whoops. Yeah. Okay. I think we did this before. Something similar, didn't we? We actually did, but there is nothing the same in it. So okay. I think most of the things in here there might be one or two you might know, but let's see. Some of them are even a revelation, revelation to me, Fran. All so, right. Yeah. Well, if, if our listeners want to get involved as well, you're more than welcome. Uh, yeah. 083-311-3311. All right, Muriel, what have you got for me? Okay, so which way do you start a Christmas pudding mixture for good luck? To the left. It's east to west. So it's east to west, north to south, whatever it is. But it's actually east to west. So oh, yeah, going. so I'm right. Yes, you it? are. You there actually you go, are, now. yeah. So well, yes. done. well done. Thank you, thank you. So in the old days, women in England who wanted to find a husband ate what food for Christmas? Oh, Lord. Um, do, 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 do. Duck. England. Gingerbread. <laughs> <laughs> We're really going to go. These are going to go really well. How many calories in a pint of beer? You should know this one. I should know this one, shouldn't I? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to guess, though, uh, 250. Well done, not too bad. 200. All right, okay. Before turkey became popular, what was the traditional Christmas dinner in England? Goose. A boar's head smothered in mustard. (laughs) Far away is that. And in medieval times, what was the traditional uh, Christmas food? Um, Was it fish? No, peacock. Peacock? A peacock, yeah. Can you imagine actually having a peacock? No, I can't. No, neither can I. Right. What type of cabbage is usually eaten for Christmas in the UK? That's easy. Is it Brussels sprout? Yeah. Okay. How many calories in a medium roast potato? Oh, I'd say 100. Actually, 200. 200? In one in roast potato? So imagine if you had four. Oh, my God. <laughs> so how many calories are in a traditional Christmas dinner? I would say about 
How many calories um, does the average person consume on Christmas Day? Well, if that's the dinner, then I would say about 4,000. Seven. 7,000 calories? 7,000, yeah. But you, that's, that's... Two pounds rest. weight in that's one day. three days worth of yeah, calories. It's actually, you actually put on two pounds that one day. But sure, we feel it. Like by Christmas night, you actually sure, know sick. you have yeah, like I half know. a stone on you. Yeah. What brand popular, popularised the image of Santi as we know it? Coca-Cola. Yes, well done. Oh. Um, how many calories are, are in one after eight? Um, 40. Uh, 74. In one after eight. After eight, yeah. My God, I need a box right, of. I finished Fran for the for Christmas, but anyway, we'll keep going. In which chain of fast food do people usually? Which which chain of fast food do people usually usually eat on Christmas Day in Japan? We had this last year. Let's say McDonald's, is it? KFC. KFC. Their 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 food of choice on Christmas Day. The Christmas dinner is KFC. That chicken and in Japan. In Japan, yeah. My God. Yeah. I suppose they eat so well all year round. I suppose. Maybe, maybe this Christmas is picking out is for there, them. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe Christmas Day is, yeah. How many calories are in a glass of red wine? Um, two, 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 about 200. There's actually, if you do it properly, like a normal unit, you know, that you're a unit of. All right. Of, yeah, there's 85. There's actually 500 calories in the bottle. So that's not okay. too bad, really, is it? 500. Oh, I thought there was much more. Yeah, no. There's, well, I don't there's, feel too bad, though. Yeah, it's about 500. Even though I use water glasses, but anyway. Okay, well, people use gin glasses now. You know, the gin glasses, yeah. Yes, this one actually made sense to me because I hate Brussels sprouts. Mm. And some people, you either hate them or you love them. And mm. like, I just... From I, I love them, but they, they must be boiled to death. Right, so they're mushy. Yeah. Yeah, well, I hate them. And so right. I think it's either... But this makes sense to me. Do you know Brussels sprouts taste so awful to people with the Taz 2R38 gene? The gene encodes a receptor that allows detection of the bitter compounds called, called leucocytes found in the brassica species. Brassica is like Brussels sprouts, broccoli, all okay. of those kinds of things. So you actually have a gene that actually that, makes you hate Brussels sprouts. Are you serious? Yeah, so well, that's why so many people absolutely hate, absolutely absolutely hate them. Yeah. Yes, we all have that same gene, anyone that hates them. So that's right. interesting to know, isn't yes, it? Yes, it just, yeah. yeah. How many calories are in a mince pie? I'd say about 100. 300, 290. In one mince pie. Yeah. That's only a, you know, you were talking about the mini ones when you say like how many calories in a mince. You have the tiny mini ones you yes. can get. It's 290. And imagine when you put your brandy butter or your cream or whatever it is on top of it. My yeah. God. Yeah, oh so Christmas God. Day can add up to more than 7,000 calories. Mm. How many calories are in two roses? Um, 80. It wasn't the calories that actually blew me away on this one. It There's, there's 116. Right, in, in, two. in two sweets. Yeah. But it was actually the sugar content is 58% and the fat content was 38%. That's what really blew my mind. I was like, oh my God, you've got both fat and sugar at that level. It's crazy. But should we eat 20 of them watching a movie or something? Oh, I'm not even going to count up like the after eights, the mince pie, the roast potatoes. So now I see where the 7,000 is coming from. <laughs> it's crazy, isn't it? Um, a suede is a cross between what two other vegetables? It's turnip and parsnip. Cabbage. Cabbage. Well done, not too bad. How many calories in a turkey sandwich? So this is at night time, we sit down at 11 o'clock. Um, two slices of bread. Two slices of bread, some butter. Butter, cranberry mm. sauce, yeah, whatever. 200. 435. Oh, Lord. We'll get away from calories now in a minute. And the last one, I think, on this, uh, what about a peak in a blanket? So that's just that's your sausage Sausage in, roll, is it? Sausage wrapped in bacon. Okay. Um, 200? 275. They're tiny. 
There's 21 grams of fat. They're tiny. Sorry, I'm finishing everybody that's listening, but I'm laughing at this. It's funny. Incredible. Um, what do you eat to make yourself poop or poo? To do prunes. Well, fibre, literally. Fibre, yeah, okay. It's, it's easy as in brown bread, etc. I had to put that yeah. in because everybody's going to be constipated by Christmas, Christmas <laughs> night, so it's literally. What yeah. is the number one superfood? Uh, blueberries. Yes, well done. Oh, thank yes, you. Yes, yeah, well done. So four foods you could almost exclusively live off. Now, I'm putting in the word almost before the phone lines light, light up and say, listen, that's not right. Almost exclusively live off. Foods? Yeah. Avocado? No. No. Are they fruits? Everything. Literally, it's a wide mix. Oh, right. God, I don't know. Potatoes. Okay. Human breast milk. Kale and trail mix. Right, I could get three out of four there, but I'm not sure where I could get a supply of the other. (laughs) (laughs) But it's in there, it's there. It's in there. What year did Russia classify beer as alcohol? This makes sense. Classify beer beer as alcohol. alcohol? Yeah. So they always drank vodka, didn't they? That's, they did, that's a yeah. no or whatever, but beer. Yeah. So is it in the last 30 years? Yes, yeah. Okay, 92? Okay, 2011. 2011, okay. Yeah, yeah, so it wasn't an alcohol before that, so you could drink it at work. Drink away that, yeah, you'd be fine, grand. Yeah. Yeah. What's the most stolen food in the world? Uh, bread, I would say. Cheese. Cheese. Cheese, yeah. Oh. What, veg- what vegetable can you hear grow? What? What vegetable can you hear grow? Um... Do, 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 do. It's a great one for kids. I don't know. Rhubarb. <laughs> I don't know if anybody's going to stand in the middle of a rhubarb patch and listen what, to it. You can to actually it grow, hear it grow. If you grow it, can you actually ring us and tell us, can you actually can you hear, hear it, it grow? Yes. Did you ever hear it grow? Yes. Do share with us. Do uh, share. 083 311 so These three are the same family. This actually is news to me in the world of nutrition that I'm in. Well, mm. Okay, so bananas, cucumber and kiwis are all classified as what? Um... Vegetable? Berries. Berries. Oh. Yeah, berries. Isn't that funny? So what are raspberries then? Are raspberries a berry or what are they classified as? I don't know. They're part of the rose family. So they're flowers? Yeah, yeah. Isn't that amazing? It's funny, isn't it? Uh, This is another new one to me. I didn't realise this. Are the stickers on fruit edible? No. Yes. They are? Yeah, so you don't have to. You know the way we wash and then we try and peel off peel the off sticker the... on the side of it or whatever? You can actually eat that. But it's paper. It's like a yep. sticker. Well, it's edible. Right. Yeah. Okay. So that's a new one. These are funny ones now. Let's see, does, does um, Fran watch his movies or whatever? Because mm. these are out like nonstop every Christmas. What's Santi's wife's name? Mrs. Claus. Jessica. Oh. Jessica Claus. But it's Mrs. Claus. But it's Jessica. <laughs> What's his youngest son's name? I didn't know he had a son. There's a movie. All oh, right. Okay. He goes off across the world with the with this. This is probably out in the last couple of years. I'd All say. right. All oh, right. I don't know. No, Arthur. Arthur. Arthur's Christmas. He goes off across the. Anyone that has younger kids will know these mm-hmm. ones. What's Santi's twin brother's name? I have no idea. Krampus. Krampus. If anybody has kids, Krampus. Yeah. Okay. yeah. And this is in the newer movies as well. Uh, all of these ones, right? Um, is healthy food more expensive than junk food? Uh, uh, no. Actually, yes, by ten percent. Is it? Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Which is a tough one. I suppose we talk about this a lot here. That's, that that's a huge problem. And you it? have to source it and you have to do all mm. that kind of thing. But yeah. in, yes, um, research and stats are there to say it's 10% okay. dear. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you overcook mushrooms? Um, I think you can, but you can't. No, you can't, no. Okay. Yeah. How many of the world's hazelnuts um, are used for Nutella? <laughs> this, this, is, this is amazing as well. Like it's um, 10%? Quarter. 25% of the of world's all of hazelnuts them. are used for Nutella. So that's why everybody's fat. Like, if I don't. 
quarter of the hazelnuts are put into Nutella. Um, does loud music make you drink faster or slower? Uh, faster. Yes, yeah. Mm. Would a McDonald's burger rot? Or can they rot? Yes. No. They can't rot. No, they can't You just rot. leave it there. And you leave it there and it'll never rot, yeah. That's really frightening. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, how many shapes is there of McNuggets? Um, four. Yes, well done. God, yes. friend, you're doing well in these. You see, I know my stuff when you it do, comes actually, to junk food. <laughs> They're shapes that they'll all cook evenly. I didn't know that, actually. Yeah. Um, this is a fact again, right? Okay. The number of hot dogs eaten on the 4th of July would stretch the distance it would take you a half a year to walk without stopping. That's in America. So they wonder why Americans are obese. But it, to think of that, so you'd have to walk a half a year without stopping. That's the amount of hot dogs. Yeah. Anyway, what was the first food eaten in space? Um, um, was it cheese? Applesauce. Well, yeah, okay. that makes sense, doesn't it? What was the first food planted in space? Um, I don't know. Potatoes. Was it? Yeah, yeah. Okay. We did need water and all the different bits. Uh, are pistachio nuts um, nuts? Yes. No, they're a fruit. Right. This is crazy, like, isn't it? This is, a this is a fact again, and this was another one that when I was doing a bit of research, it blew me away. Chicken now contains 266% more fat than it did 50 years ago. And why is that? Is that? I'd say it's what's been fed and then what's in the grains and all of that okay. kind of thing. Yeah, so I, I wouldn't say it's necessarily and that's been put into them. It's literally how they're actually reared. Right. And, and of course, that's of not all chickens. Well. That's chicken as a whole. So yeah. the organic uh. ones, yeah, are different. Okay. What food can be made to use? What food is used or can be used to make dynamite? Um, do, 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 it's fertilizer, is it? Peanuts. Peanuts. Okay. Yeah. Right. What food was once used as currency? Um, but do, 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 I don't know. Chocolate. As currency. As currency. Yeah. 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 Okay. Some of these are great. What is the most eaten food in the world? Bread. Rice. Rice, of course. Yes, yeah. 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 This is good too. What is a cluster of bananas called? Oh, that's interesting. What is a cluster of bananas called? A hand? Yeah. And because they sense. look like a hand. Yeah, because yeah. the ind- individual bananas are known as fingers. Okay. Yeah, it's another one for the kids. Okay. Mm. Do you know how candy is made? Candy. Candy, like sweets. Like, like sweet. Yeah. Do you mean how how it's made? How is it? Ma- uh, yeah. Um. Very simply, like. I don't know. Really. So you dissolve sugar in water. Okay. Okay. So hard candy is made at a hot temperature. Medium candy, soft, like soft candies, medium temperature, and then um, cool, chewy candy. So that's cool. Right. Cool water, whatever. Just so cool. basically, it's sugar. Yeah, yeah. It's sugar. Oh, it's sugar. Complete yeah. sugar. Yeah, that's literally. Which yeah. is scary because I, I always have sweets in the van when we're travelling to gigs and travelling home from gigs just to keep you sort of. You're, yeah, yeah. You're but it's all sugar. it's all yeah. sugar. Yeah. yeah. Um, did you know rabbits can't be sick? As in they can't get sick? No, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't either, yeah. Right. School. So they can't throw up? They can't throw up, yeah. yeah They'd be so. great people to go on a bender with. <laughs> Wouldn't they just, yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. What's the only animal to blush? Humans. Yes, well done. Yeah. This is a good one. You can actually try this. Everybody everybody around now that's, that's, that's listening to us at the minute. Can you lick your elbow? <laughs> you know that everybody... We actually had this at home last night and they were all... No, trying you to can't. See, could they lick their elbow? No, you can't lick can't. your elbow. No, yes. no. Another fact: a shrimp's heart is in its head. Isn't that cool? What animal can't look up into the sky? Um, I don't know. A pig. Oh. How long can a snail sleep? Um, days. Three years. Three. <laughs> yeah. 
Some of these are good. We'll go back to the Christmas ones in a second. How small is a panda at birth? Um, about 10 pounds. It's four ounces, smaller than a mouse. Is it? Indeed? Yeah, yeah. This is another fact which I just thought was really funny. Um, horses and cows can sleep standing up, but can only dream lying down. So if you're a farmer and you're listening in, tell us if that's true. If that's true. Well, I mean, how would you know? I've no idea. I've no idea. But they do know everything. Like farmers definitely right. know their cows, don't they? So um, right. they should be able to tell us, do they dream when they're lying down? I Isn't that know. very interesting? Yeah. I, I thought that was great. Yeah. So broccoli is a superfood as well. It's another, um, this is another fact. It has twice the vitamin C of an orange and more protein than steak. Why are superfoods horrible? Yeah, I suppose you're right there, aren't you, yeah, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although I like blueberries. Yeah. But green okay. tea is another superfood. Is it? What's the most consumed Hard fruit tea. in the world? Um, bananas. Mangoes. 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 That's unusual, isn't it? Yeah. It's very unusual. So it must be Mediterranean. They eat yeah, an awful lot not, more fruit than us. Here, so we don't really imagine. eat fruit yeah. at this side of the world what, uh, in relation to what we should. Hmm. Is the liquid part of yogurt nutritious? Because people often ask me, should I mix it up or should I just pour it off? You know, hmm. when it, when Let's it, say it is nutritious. Really nutritious. Yeah. Okay, so it has whey protein. Um, calcium and potassium. So that's mm. nearly the best bit of your yogurt. So mix yes. it up big time. I noticed that on, uh, believe it or not, my Greek yogurt. So should you mix it up? Yes, with absolutely. It? Oh, yeah. I see. It's the okay. most nutritious piece. Right. Okay, so make sure Very you get that. Yeah. Yep. What's the only food that doesn't spoil? Um, you know this one. That doesn't spoil. Yeah. Well, can cheese, be, cheese can I would, would no, imagine. No, not cheese, no. It can be in the fridge for like years, literally, and you can take it out and use it. I don't know. Honey. Oh, I should know that, shouldn't yeah, I? Yeah. What food is potentially linked to decreased blood pressure and increased testosterone? So every man in the country needs to be eating this. So it'll decrease your blood pressure, guys, and it'll increase your testosterone. So over it, Christmas, you need it. I don't know. Eggs. Oh, right. Yeah. At that rate, I should be super <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to ask your wife. <laughs> What's Somebody's saying you've, you've just ruined Christmas. I know. I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. <laughs> I should be making Christmas, really, though, because I'm actually giving you the, you know, the, yes, real, the I know. real facts. What's the first song played in, in space? God, I should know that, and I don't. Well, the oldest Christmas song that everybody sings. The oh, is it? White Christmas, Christmas, is it? No, Jingle Bells. Jingle Bells, yeah. OK. Um, what does Christmas mean, the word? Um, you know this one? Christ's birth? No, mass at Christmas. So it's literally oh. just the other way around. We're Is nearly it? at the end. You're nearly done right. 74. Wow. How long does it take to grow a Christmas tree? A year? 15 years. 15 Fran, years? Fran, Christmas tree. Right, okay. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> I'm having a very sleepy day. <laughs> yeah. Liam will say, you didn't do good, Fran, but you did better than me. <laughs> okay, well, that's good too. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't do too bad, actually. This is the last one, right? Okay. Um, I have to get this. You have to get this okay. one. So we're talking about stats, mm. as in one in three, ten and four, whatever it is. Come up mm. with a stat of whatever you want. How many ma- men wait until Christmas Eve to shop? <laughs> I'd say 90%. Yeah, you're probably right, yeah. A little bit less than that, but one in three. One in three. Yeah. The mo- more modern man is probably better because he's doing it online. Yeah. He has a job. Oh, oh, yeah, that's yeah. very clever. Yeah. yeah, the younger generation. But going say. out to the, the shops. Well, your generation. Yeah. Our generation. Yeah. That's your no. disaster. Yeah. Yes, I yeah. know. You're lucky if you get something. I'm like an ATM machine. I just give out money. Yeah, but that's no good. That's Why? Not, that, it's, it's fine for the kids or whatever, but you have to go and actually put a little bit of thought into a present. Yeah. Like everybody's asking me what I want for Christmas. I'm like, you know what I want. Go and choose something for me. Don't ask me what I want. Right, but but that's it's not that easy, you see. Well, if you spend enough money, it is. Oh. 
It's like really nice. Oh, that's real spirit of Christmas, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's the thought that counts. Well, not a Hoover or something. Somebody actually said to us again last year they bought a Hoover or they bought something along those lines. Lads, if you're listening, don't buy anything for the house. But wouldn't an iron for you? No, 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 no. It has to be a gift voucher for something like a spa, a treatment, a piece of jewellery. Right. Um, Don't go food related because that's just going to make us fat. Okay. Yeah, so you have to think outside the box what will make us feel good and look good. Right. That's that's their idea, yeah. Could I also put in we don't want socks and underwear. We have enough. (laughs) You don't really need a present. (laughs) Yeah, sure, I suppose. Very good indeed. So, I mean, there is a good point to what you've been doing there is then we, we, we need an awareness of what well, we're eating. Do you know what? We do and we don't. I always say for, for Christmas Eve, Christmas Day and Stevens's Day, eat until you're sick. Right. It's the only time of the year that you're actually allowed to sit down, close the door and overindulge to your heart's content and I, I do that. Right. The secret to Christmas and doing it well is when you're finished, you're finished. So you literally pick whatever day it is, 27th, 28th, whenever, I don't know, people work over Christmas and whatever. Mm. Stop after about four days okay. and try and pull yourself back into line because if you don't you're going to have the whole month of January to try and get yourself back to where you were right. before you started and most people come into Christmas quite slim as in they try and lose the weight for the Christmas parties and all the bits and pieces so don't totally overdo it right. so, but definitely okay. enjoy the yeah. are, are you doing um, vouchers for the clinic? Yeah we are yeah. and we've sold loads of them which have is you? great because people they literally they don't know what to buy their wives and girlfriends or whatever so that's literally and I always say it's like, it's like a gift to health or whatever Ever. So people have bought vouchers even for health screens for after Christmas oh, very to get good. people back into well, their bloods. They don't have to buy a specific voucher, can they buy no, no, a voucher you that, you, that you, you just can buy use towards whatever? In general, yeah. In general, okay. yeah, right. yeah. And the aesthetic side, that's a big side at the minute. And I suppose if somebody's worried about it, for a husband to give his wife a present to that so mm. that she can even just do a consultation. Right. At least she can just come in and sit and chat with a doctor and, and, and figure out, yeah, yeah right. you know, can I get something done or not? And he wouldn't be offending her now by doing that, would he? No, not at all, because you can use it for anything, Frank. Oh, right, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like there's a little spa element or nails or eyebrows or whatever it is, yeah. Very yeah. good indeed. All right, if people want to talk to you, uh, Muriel, or your team, how can yes, they do that? Yes, and, you know, this is a big one. We are actually just booked out for January in relation to the weight loss injection and our weight management clinic. Um, so, yes, enjoy Christmas and everything, but if you're thinking of it for the New Year, guys definitely give us a shout as quick, quickly as you can okay. if you want to get stuck in early in the new year. Mm-hmm. It's um, 052 614 Okay, 614 Okay, and we'll have that here with uh, Emma if you missed it. Good to see you, Muriel, and we'll see you next week for the final time before Christmas. Thanks thanks very much indeed. That's Muriel Cuddy of Marito 8020 in Clonmel. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Thomas in Dundrum and he says, with your performance on the calorie quiz, Fran, go to the back of the class. The good news is I'll be there waiting for you. <laughs> Yeah, I probably, you know, it's it's no wonder I'm on a diet, Tom, because I didn't know about the amount of calories and some of that stuff. I mean, Jenny Max, what did she say? 70 calories in a in a single uh, after eight. 70 calories. 80 calories in two rows of sweets. Jenny Mac. Um, for the last few years now, Fran, I've been telling my doc that my heart is in my head, but he doesn't take it serious, I think. That's making reference to another one of Muriel's questions about... What, what creature was it that had the uh, the heart in their head? Um, one Christmas, Fran, my wife bought me a lawnmower. And 
Romance of it all. Another year, she bought me my bought me a pajamas in case I need to go to hospital. <laughs> That's beautifully pragmatic and stuff, isn't it? Um, Mags is on with tongue and cheek to say, "I love your test of knowledge, friend." Yeah, I know. God Almighty, I need to brush up on my calories. Um, Fran, humans are not animals, really. Uh, thank you for that. Um, okay, lots of stuff coming in about the quiz. Um, the lady just ruined all of Christmas and probably the new year for me as well. This is one of our listeners. Anyway, one of our listeners, Christine, was travelling home from holiday in Cyprus this week and she's been in touch with us and she joins me now. Christine, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. How are you? I'm all right, Christine. Will you tell me about your journey and your experience because God knows your poor pet. Oh, my God. What I, like, I would rather get into the car with a known serial killer than ever get onto a Ryanair flight again. My that, God, that, what an experience. That bad, Christine? Just bad, just terrible, and just Ryanair at the very top. Right. How, what, what happened? So, uh, we got a text when we were on, currently en route to the airport. We were in Cyprus for the week, myself and my partner. Mm-hmm. And um, en route to the airport, he gets a message saying that our flight has been delayed by two hours, but we still have to go and check in. Mm. So I was like, okay, sure, we'll hang around the airport. Not too bad. Like, you know, we get to have a drink or whatever, look yeah. around Tuesday free and all the whatever the crack. And um, I was like, one more little shopping haul before we go. <laughs> <laughs> so um, pick up my Tuesday free. Yeah. And uh, got through it anyway. But we got a thing, a little voucher thing for four euro to say, Do you know, by Ryanair. I was like, yeah, and that's very good of them to give us a little four mm. euro voucher. Mm. And... Uh, Got our drinks anyway, sat down and waited for our boarding, boarded the flight, that was grand. Uh, they went and did all, you know, the emergency things that the cabin crew did yeah. to show you the exits and all that jazz. And uh, we were sitting down to check their seatbelts, ready for takeoff, and we were like, just, you know, it's taking a bit longer than usual, what's going on? Mm. And there was a gentleman in front of us, and he had a six-year-old and a baby with him, and then there was a little baby behind us as well. And uh, your mum was like, you know, the baby's nearly finished her bottle at this stage. You know, we were giving him the bottle for takeoff. Yeah. So we're like, oh, God. So um, next time in the, someone said it to the cabin crew and they were like, oh, we don't know. And uh, they kind of, you know, were staying away from the people a bit down. The, they were staying up the top near the cockpit. Mm. And uh, we were like, it's strange, like, and... Uh, about 20 minutes or so passed and we were like, lads, what's going on? Next one in the pilot announces that um, they can't get clearance to land in Dublin airports because of the frost. So we'd have to wait. And we were like, well, how long have we been waiting for? And he, about 10 minutes later, he announces, oh, we'll be waiting for a period of one hour. Hmm. So we're like, oh, God, you know, can we get off and get a drink or get a bag yeah. or you know, something like. And they were like, no, 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 for security reasons, you can't leave the plane. So I was like, seriously? And I was like, yeah, you're not to worry, we'll have something to eat. So, um, because I didn't bring any snacks with me on the plane. I didn't know you could. Um, I thought it was only if we were travelling with a child. It was my first time travelling without my son. So yes. I was mm. like, I didn't know you could bring something for yourself. And uh, picked up nothing. And uh, I said to one of the cabin crew, I was like, can I just get... Um, something to eat, like a sandwich or a scone or a croissant or something, Mossy. And she's like, oh, we're not allowed to sell any food. I was like, what? And she goes, we can't sell any food legally until we're in the air. I was like... Oh, for God's sake. I was like, so we're here for an hour and I can't have something to eat. 
And she said, no, no, no. So I was like, okay, that's fine. Can I at least get a bottle of water or something, Oh, she said, we can't sell that either. I was like, are you having a laugh? And no, she refused point blank to sell food or water to absolutely anyone on the plane until we were in the air. And uh, so we waited the hour, which was over over an hour because we'd been waiting to take off at that stage. Mm. So um, afterwards then, uh, we um, when we were in the air, oh no, uh, before we waited an hour and a half and uh, we were like, you know, lovely, eventually soon I will take off and the babies were... You know, getting a bit unsettled and the mm. six-year-old was there. Oh, when are we going? When are we going? A five-hour flight as well, like, so it was a long flight, like. And um, just uh, after the hour and a half past, people were, you know, getting fed up, like, because there's only one door open as well to let in air into the plane, like. And it was a full flight, so people were, you know, sweating and, you know, yourself, like. And after the hour and a half had passed, uh, people were getting a bit anxious. Then the pilot announces again after after the hour, about 40 minutes uh, past the hour and a half, like, he'd announced that, uh, oh, uh, the cabin crew have overworked their hours and they're not destined to take this five-hour flight, so we have to get new cabin crew. What? Yeah, and we were like, what in the God's name is going on? And then we had to get a new pilot as well. The pilot had to go. We got a new pilot, to the best of my knowledge, as well. Ah, uh, Christine, you're having me on with this. No, this happened last Friday, beyond in Cyprus. And I was like, what in God's name is going on? I was like, I was starving at this point. Like, I was like, look, just get me into the air so I can have something to eat because I'm celiac. So I'm actually um, allergic to wheat. Like, so I mm. needed, like, you know, like to have like a beef lasagna and stuff like that. So I had mm. it on the way over. And um, uh, I was like, can I please just get something? Like, I was like, I need something. I have, I suffer from mass reflux as well. So I needed something like mm. And no, wouldn't give anything, like, so I was like, oh, for God's sake. So we had to wait another, another half an hour for the new cabin crew and pilots to come on. And they eventually came on. They had to do all the safety checks again. They had to go through all the things of, like, the emergency exit again. So at this stage, we were waiting uh, roughly, to the best of my knowledge, about two and a half hours sitting on the plane mm. before we took off for a five-hour flight. And... Uh, we eventually got into the air anyway, and I said, look, I am starving. I was like, can I please order the beef lasagna, uh, gluten-free, and uh, it's a vegan one, I think. And I was like, my partner will have the croissant. And she was like, yeah, that's no problem. And uh, I ordered a drink as well. And uh, I was, this now was about maybe 40, 45 minutes had passed. Mm-hmm. And the pilot announces on the air, now, and are you ready for this? <laughs> The pilot announces our cabin crew have unfortunately run out of food mid-flight, so we won't have anything for oh to give our passengers. Are you serious? I literally started to cry in fan. I was on the plane and I was like, I'm starving. I'm literally starving with the hunger. I was like, I need something. And like, if I eat something with weakness, I'll suffer from constipation for days and I'll break out in a terrible rash along my chest and my arms and everything like and I had no tablets to even take like uh, antacid tablets they were in my big luggage in the storage like and I started to cry and I was like I literally need something I was saying it's your one I was embarrassed at this stage like you know yeah, yeah. and um, I was like I'm going to get like I'm going to be severely sick if I don't eat and like she's like oh we can offer you a Snickers or a Kit Kat I was like but I need like food and I can't have that they contain wheat 
And she was like, oh, uh, it's only just a small bit. I like that drives me mad. I was like, I have an allergy. I was like, if it I have doesn't a small matter bit, how big a piece, yeah. yeah. Yes, I was like, is, would you, if you have enough allergy, are you going to have like a sausage sauce because oh there's only a small bit of peanuts in sausage? I was like, no. And this poor woman in front of me, fine, she was about three seats up in front of me, a real, uh, uh, I'd say she was a woman in her 60s, like she was an elder, elderly woman, like, mm. not that I'm calling old people, sorry for doing that on air. Um, women in the 60s are still young and beautiful. Uh, she adds um, hastily. <laughs> yes, Christine. Um, but she came back to me, God bless her soul, and she had a packet of ham that she'd brought with her for um, a sandwich thing. And she took, the ham out of the sandwich that she had and she was like look she said I can give you this bit of ham and Fran at this stage I was so hungry I was actually embarrassed I took it off her I was like thanks so much and she was like not at all like and she like God well, that very me. decent of her to do yeah, yeah but, and but she, how she was desperate so like, were you at that point Christine I mean that that's incredible I know yeah and I said it to the cabin crew I was like I was like that woman is after taking the ham out of the sandwich now she did wrapped up like they'd had their they'd had their snacks like yeah. and uh, she was like no she said please she said because it's going to go in the bin anyway she said, because we won't eat for the rest of the night and I was like no no you're fine and she's like no please do just take it so um, I took the ham out of the bread because um, she didn't understand you know being celiac like but apparently one of the cabin crew that was on the lady that I was speaking to on Ryanair she had told me that uh, she was celiac and she's like oh I can eat this and I'll be fine I was like well you're clearly not a celiac if you can eat that and you're fine because that contains wheat so Plus, it wasn't her went, place to be giving you no, medical no, advice no, yes. no it wasn't yeah. and then when we landed it gets better this, this story still isn't over when we landed in Dublin airport I couldn't wait to get off the plane I was starving <laughs> When we landed in Dublin Airport, we came down the runway and we pulled up. You know the way you get, like, the airplane gets taxied over to the airport? Yes, yeah. We were stuck sitting on the airplane, friend, for another 60 minutes because there was no taxi available to bring us to the airport. Ah, for God's sake. <laughs> yeah, we were, like, we stood up, got down all our bags, got down everything, and the pilot was there, oh, please sit down, it's dangerous. I said, I don't care how dangerous it is. I'm on Irish style now. I'm getting off this plane one way or another. And, um, no, we told sit down, and then he announces, oh, we have no... Um, First, it was a taxi uh, they said they had issues with. And then they said they'd no steps. Uh, you know the way they know, bring over yeah. steps yeah, to get you out? They'd no steps to get us out of the plane. And Fran, my partner, is so relaxed, he's horizontal. He stood up and he's turned around and he says, I swear to God, he said, you see, the, the emergency exit plan thing is on the back of the Ryanair seat. He's like, do you see that plane thing? Or do you see that slide thing, he says. Where's that slide, he said, because I'm used to get out of this plane. <laughs> Oh, and I'm sorry for laughing. And she just looked at him and she's like, are you okay, sir? And she's like, shame is like, I need to get out of this plane. She's like, I actually need to get out of this plane. <laughs> Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie And what what about the, the kids with the other families at this point, uh, Christine? Oh, Fran, they? like the, the little child was in front of me. Lizzie was her name, like, um, oh, she was the 
the best little child to fly ever. She was so happy. Mm. She was so relaxed, so content. But like her dad had literally just ran out of bottles as we were landing and he'd no other bottle to give her. All the rest of the stuff was in their big luggage, like. And the sister then, um, she was six and she was up and down. She was like, Daddy, I want to go here. And, oh, yeah. And then one of their toilets got blocked in the plane as well. So we could only access one toilet on the plane as well. And um, when we hit turbulence, um, there was a queue for the toilet. And my partner was like, oh, I'll get up and go now that the queue is gone. And <laughs> the one time at the flight that he woke up, he slipped the whole thing. When I say that man is relaxed, I mean he's the most relaxed person. Relaxed. He slept the whole... I mean, there was kids screaming, crying. There was people giving out, people, you know, and right. my partner just slept through it on, throwing away. <laughs> and I was waiting. I was like, will you say something? He's like, it's all fine, just relax. I was like, I'm relaxed. I was like, I'm sitting on this plane. I'd be in Australia. And you, you were fit to kill somebody at this point, I'm sure. I was going to kill him next to me. And then he woken up and he's like, I'm going to send Ryanair a bill for a chiropractor and tomorrow my back is broke. <laughs> I so, said, just let's do it all. There was a gentleman across the way from us and when we were walking up through the tunnel after eventually getting off the plane, he turned down and he was like, it's nice to see Sleeping Beauty. <laughs> but I swear to God, like flying with Ryanair, I mean, like if they knew the weather in Dublin was bad, they could have delayed our flight and left us sitting in the airport where we had access to food, of to course. toilets, to facilities that we can stretch our legs, that like parents travelling with young kids had access to their food and stuff like. And we get no, we get, like I have emails right there and I've heard nothing from them. Oh, and when I, uh, your one came along then and uh, at the end, I uh, like about 20, 25 minutes before we landed, right? Yeah. The Ryanair one that said she was celiac, she came up along and she was like, oh, um, we actually have a spare lasagna thing here. She's like, someone has heated it up for you, because I ordered it off another man, but he was up at the top of the plane and we were dealing with the women at the back of the plane. And uh, she was like, I'll have to reheat it again though because it was already uh, heated. I was like, what? I was like, can't you only cook them things once though and then you're not supposed to reheat them. I was like, it's sitting on the plane for the last five hours. I ordered it when we took off like. She was like, yeah, but if you're hungry, I was like... Um, yeah, I'm not hungry I, enough to end up with food poisoning. Yeah, but like even her offered me that and I was just like, oh my God, I was like, this is absolutely dreadful like. It sounds like a calamity. And you know what I was concerned about, Chrissy, when I didn't know the full story was, you know, I'd have to say to you, well, look, there wasn't much they could do about a weather incident in, in yeah, Dublin. Yeah. But Which, in fairness, they, they didn't have control over. But they had control over so much more, you know, that, that went on there. But, Fran, they knew that morning because a friend of mine as well, something similar happened to him when he flew in. I'd seen it on his Facebook when we were in the airport. He said he was stuck sitting on the runway that morning in Dublin Airport. So, like, Ryanair must have had some inkling like that. Like, I don't know, I can't speak it. That's just in my opinion, like. But they must have known, like, they're going to get delayed or something. Until, like, you're ready to actually go into the air and, like, literally take off. You, like you shouldn't you, you shouldn't board passengers onto a plane, especially people with young kids, like and people that need food and stuff like that. And they couldn't serve us anything then until we were in the air. It was after it was crazy. It was. But there's so much. I mean, and the notion. <laughs> I'm sorry for laughing, but the notion that the pilot ha- and and the, the initial crew had to go away and another one take over because yeah, of the yeah, delay. Yeah. I mean that doesn't seem logical in any way. I when they said that, I was just like. 
at here. I was like, I was like, I'm thinking of just getting off this plane and just staying in Cyprus for another night or two. And you know, I'm so sorry I didn't. Like, we were supposed to be home. We we landed in Dublin, and then when we landed in Dublin, we were getting the bus to the red car park. We parked in the long term car park. Yes. We had just missed that one, and it was like really late at night. I think it was like half twelve when we eventually got in. Um, we had to wait another forty minutes for that. And then when we got back to my car, my phone and my battery had died. And uh, when we got back to the car, the car was frozen solid and my battery in my car was dead as well. Oh, God. So I said to my partner, I was like, I'm literally, I was like, I'm going to ask you have a breakdown. You can stop me off with a hospital because I'm going to have a breakdown. I was like, please go. And how did you then. manage with the car then? Um, my partner went over to the like the staff in Dublin Airport. My God, like your man in the car park, he was absolutely like I I hope like someone knows who he is. This listen, he was the funniest, nicest, most absolute gentleman. He wouldn't take a cent off me, not a euro would he take. Ah, um, they you know the crowd that let the barriers up and down. Yes, yeah. Yeah. My partner wanted to go all the way out of the car park, all the way over and press the thing. And your man was like, you're having issues getting out. So he was like, no, the battery. My, he was standing <laughs> talking into the thing. And if you were cars, I need to come out. They were all looking at him. He was like, no, the battery. My partner's car has died. And uh, he was like, oh, where are you? And he told him anyway, sure, my partner's a mechanic. Like, so he got the bonnet open to drive and it looked like. Yes. So, but um, they eventually anyway came over and jump-started the car. But my mum then was ringing. She was like, are you okay? Are you all right? And so panicking back at home, like. Yes, of course. And my, my battery had died in my phone, so she didn't know what was going on. And my partner had no credit, and it was 12 o'clock at night, so I was just like, this day needs to end, and it needs to end now. <laughs> and what time did you finally make it home at? Two. It was about 10 past two. Oh, God, you poor thing. We were supposed to be home. Like, if all had gone to plan and everything had worked out, we were supposed to be home at here in our house at the latest with a delay on the M50 in Dublin. You always give the M50 mm, a break. Yeah. Like my partner just adores driving the M50. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't really. Yes. But um, we would have been home here at 8 o'clock. Right. And we didn't arrive home. Like, that's given, like, an hour delay in the M50. We should have been home here at 7, like. And we didn't get into our base until half 2 in the morning. It's, it, there's a book in this somewhere, do you know? That, it's incredible. And you haven't heard back... No, because I presume everybody on that plane must have complained. Um, you haven't heard anything back from Ryanair yet? No, I emailed them and I've heard nothing back from them. Like, not so much as my apology. Like, we got the voucher right when our flight was today when we were in the airport. But, like, that was four euro for two people. But, like, we were sitting on the plane longer than our flight was, I'd say. It was just, it was it's, ridiculous. It was a uh, delay here, a delay there. Do this check and that check and the other check and having right. to do it all again. And I mean, like, I understand safety comes first and all that, but like the people on the plane are after seeing the safety check. So, I mean, like, we're not going to forget in 40 minutes. And will you fly Ryanair again? Uh, Fran. Yes. <laughs> that is a direct, absolute, never, no. Absolutely never, never ever, ever. I would ever. rather come. <laughs> I would rather come my to way. To Cyprus. <laughs> and swim my way. I'd go by boat, oh, by canoe. <laughs> oh, Lord God. Tell, and then, uh, tell, tell me, on, on a well, I hope it's a happier note, what, what was Cyprus like for a holiday? 
Oh my God, fantastic. Was Absolutely it? brilliant. They like, my partner loves it because there's so many handy civil stuff there. He's like a car mad. And it, like, he's got like, I was there taking all, do you know the nice photos of yes. myself and himself? He's got a complete album on his phone of all the cars he's seen on holidays. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not missing. He's got Cypress cars folder in his phone of all the cars he's seen on holidays. <laughs> and I just like, have you any there myself and yourself? Don't, don't you have them, he says. Do you know, I love him. I love him. I, I just, he's such a typical guy, you know. I just love him. Yeah. I'm sure in an emergency, like, there could be an emergency and he'd just be like, right. and look, he... it's gone now. It burns down. But she's fine. She look, we'll get another. Like, I'm just like, no, you don't understand. Some things you have to panic and like, get upset about. Some things you have to like. I could be I could be fighting with him, Fran, and he's sitting there and I'll just be like, you're going to say it. And he goes, but sure, if I say something, it's going to be wrong. So, <laughs> so like, the best thing to do is be quiet, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, no, there's no talking to him. I'm just like, to be easier, have an argument. Uh, to be easier, go for a walk off a sharp pier with TV Wonders. You can't see where you're going to try to fight with you. <laughs> oh, as I say, I love him, Christine. Um, <laughs> that, it, it's such a... Ma- Would you do me a favour, if you hear back from Michael O'Leary, will you, will you let us know? Oh, I like I, if I if I knew where he lived, I'd be knocking at his door. I tell you, with, with my blood pressure results after coming home here at half two in the morning, when I should have been home at eight. But I mean, like my partner and all, missed the following day over it. You know, and he was down at his wages because he was we were supposed to be back to work on the Saturday, but he was physically that exhausted after being on like all day and stuff like that, like that. He literally. He could not get up the following morning at half seven and go to work. He was only home at half two in the morning. And, I mean, that puts him down another day's wages after already being back on holidays and lets his employer down. Like Now, thankfully, his employer is as relaxed as himself. How do two of them run like together? And he, he's over in Nina. How, how do two of them work together? I'm just like, Jesus. Like, the two of them are oh, so I relaxed and horizontal. But do, do you know, the, the sad point is that you had a lovely holiday and that probably puts a bit of yeah. a damper on it. Yeah. I mean, like, it was all, like, everyone was going on about the flight home. No one, very, very few people have said to me, like, bury yourself, like, have said to me, how was the actual holiday? Yeah. Yeah, it yeah, was it's, all it's about, all oh, about the that. journey home. It, it, it was kind of made it all about like the journey home. And I mean, like Cyprus is absolutely beautiful. The scenery there is gorgeous. I mean, like we met lovely folk over there. Uh, it was like you know they're so welcoming. Like and uh, I would I would recommend anyone to go on holidays there. Like my partner wants to buy a plot of land over there. <laughs> he wants to put um, a storage unit on it and bring home all the Honda Civics and sell them here. <laughs> so that, that's his business idea after coming home from Aldi's. I love so it. So I'm just like, whatever rocks your boat. Whatever, whatever rocks your boat, you yeah. happy. Rosemary was on and she's making a great point. She said, Fran, I don't know how anybody can follow that story. And I know we can't follow that story. It's a, You're a natural storyteller, Christine. You know that, don't you? <laughs> um, that, that was just uh, amazing. I couldn't follow myself and I was on the flight. I was like, so are we delayed now again? Or are we going? Are, like, what's the story? Are we going to get going or what? Oh, I didn't know myself and I was on the bloody flight. Oh, it's, it's amazing. Look, it was smashing to talk to you. I know it's a terrible story, but but it was just so entertaining to hear the way you told it. Um, my best to your poor husband and uh, your partner. And look after yourself, Christine, won't you? I will, of course. All and right. you too, Fanny. And if, you hear, if you hear anything from my near, you might let me we, know. We'll send off our usual email and we'll see what we can get back from them. Uh, my oh, best perfect. to you. and A happy Christmas to you and your partner and your family. Thanks, Christine.
Christine. And you too, Frank. Take Thank care. you. Hope Thanks, you good Take care. Thank bye-bye. you. Bye-bye to you now. And uh, that was Christine with her story of Ryanair. Some breaking news for you right now. The Irish soldier who was killed in Lebanon uh, last night has been named. He's 23-year-old Private Sean Rooney, who was a native of Newtown Cunningham in County Donegal, and he joined the Defence Forces in 2019. It's understood that the convoy was making its way to Beirut to bring two members of the unit to, to the airport as they were given compassionate leave to return home for a family funeral, can you believe? Uh, the other soldier who was injured remains in a serious condition this morning, but he has not been named of yet. And indeed, our condolences to the soldier's family and indeed to his many friends as well, I'm sure. Um, that brings the show to an end for today. Uh, the winner of our afternoon tea for two at the Talbot is Caroline Marr from Clonmel. Well done to you, Caroline. I hope you enjoyed that. That's it for me. Emma produced um, Ali Looks After Her Content. Stephen is on the way and I'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye-bye now. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie.